listening to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb going to slide down in big hills, you know what I mean, on the big, nice, burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. We are back in the booth for the bomb hole, presented by Wild Mike, Solomon, and Pub Beer. Now, Stony Buds, how are you doing, my friend? So good, dog. <laughs> Scotty, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, just just amazing, honestly. I'm, uh, I'm hopefully going to be sitting in this seat for a while. A lot of uh, influential, amazing snowboarders have sat in this seat, so hopefully it rubs off on me bit but uh yeah thanks for having me well scotty's kind of chuckling because uh we actually <laughs> pretty much did like uh 10 minutes of a podcast without me hitting record so we're kind of jumping right back into the conversation <laughs> it happens but uh we're happy to have you in the booth scotty you know like i said earlier the only time i see you is on top of the damn podium so it's good to have you in the garage with me and buds kicking it with the boys i'm loving it i'm uh stoked to be in here with the boys been a big fan, watched all the uh, all the episodes, so honestly, uh, super stoked to be here. First Australian, too, for Is us it? in the booth, yeah, big oh, deal for us. Be careful. <laughs> you think there's going to be a bunch more coming now, once well, we let one in? Yeah, well, I don't think I'm going to get drunk off green tea, but <laughs> if, it, with, if the other way around, it might be a bit scary. You guys are a wild bunch, uh, grown on grown up on an island that was originally for uh, prisoners, right? <laughs> that is correct. I think that's what history says. <laughs> well, one thing I want to jump right into is, you know, you've got an Olympic bronze, you got three world champions championships, you got uh, tons of X Games medals. Now, like, there's there's snowboarders that inspire you, I'm sure, but you know, you're probably like me in the fact that you love watching conventional sports like thirty for thirties and. Things like that. And I know, you know, who inspires you as a snowboarder? And also on the other side, who inspires you from the conventional side of things? Yeah, I had a lot of people um, I looked up to snowboarding and I w- it was really cool. I mean, as a kid from Australia, I really never thought that I would get the opportunity to compete against a lot of those guys that I looked up to, like Danny Davis and Scotty Lago and, and Mason and, I mean, um, Luke Matrani. I mean, a lot of those guys, I kind of would just watch them on videos back in Australia and then, um, you know, I got to know them and uh, compete against them, which was really cool. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I always found a lot of inspiration from from snowboarders, but I think, I guess now, more so, I mean, on a conventional sports side, like football and um, basketball and all those things. And I really do, you know, I look at people like Tom Brady, for example, or LeBron James, or, you know, those guys that have been around for a long time. Yeah, that was worth that. Yeah. Um, and Kelly Slater, and I really do, I, I kind of think, you know, what am I doing that I can get a lot of longevity out of being a snowboarder? Because I think, I feel like the stereotype of snowboarding, which I don't believe is true, is, you know, you hit, you know, 27, 28 years old, and people are kind of like, oh, he's going to fade out now. And I guess... For me, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to be in this as long as I can at the highest level I can. So I find a lot of inspiration from people like that. And especially now with the the tricks and, and what's happening in the half pipe, it's more so becoming a lifestyle of you got to look after yourself and you got to, you know, take those steps to make sure you can show up and, and be able to, to do the tricks in the half pipe. So, yeah, I definitely find a lot of motivation from, from people outside of snowboarding as well as in. Now, uh, going back to the Tom Brady reference, which I highly appreciate, uh, I know that he is kind of fueled by 
haters. Like he almost doesn't want compliments. He's kind of one of those people that he's always said, you know, tell me I'm too old. Tell me I'm too old. Tell me I don't have it. You know, um, does that, and you're not even that, that old, but does, does that type of stuff motivate you? Some of those comments? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, honestly, I feel like as long as I've ever been snowboarding, for example, I've kind of grown up always a little bit on the comment side on the back foot because coming from Australia, you know, it was always, why would you be a snowboarder? Or, you know, that's not something you should be doing. Or, and I've always, I guess I learned over so much of my life experience that, yeah, I pretty much just almost had a chip on my shoulder, always prove people wrong. And like, it gets me high every single day because I do, I really thrive off people telling me that I can't do something. And um, yeah, I guess in Tom's case, I'm sure, you know, we obviously just won another Super Bowl. I, I think I can understand how he would find a lot of motivation in that. And, um, yeah, I guess I found that being, I guess, from where I'm from and, and striving to be a snowboarder. So, Well, one thing that's kind of fascinating with Tom, and, and James kind of made a comparison. James Jackson is your coach. Uh, he's been on this podcast. He's an absolute champion. I'm going to give him an air horn. And uh, basically – he was kind of saying that you're kind of willing to do whatever to, I don't want to say win, but, but like, you know, give yourself that edge. Right. And, and that's something I find between Tom, you know, when you hear about Tom Brady, he's like, doesn't eat tomatoes or he's like doing all this, like really like willing to sacrifice a lot of things in order to be a champion. Like you see him on, you know, you see yourself on top of the podium, you see, you know, Tom hosting, hoisting the Super Bowl above his head and you don't see what goes in behind the scenes. And I think it's kind of, I love kind of dissecting what goes in behind the scenes and sacrifices that are made and things like that. Yeah, for sure. I think we saw, uh, He, I think Tom said he had a few avocado tequilas or something after he won the oh, Super Bowl. He looks shit-faced. <laughs> he looks like he got drunk real easy. You know, yeah, so he he's on that straight and narrow path, but it was nice to see a bit of human in him. And I do get, honestly, like, I do get a little bit worried sometimes. I am a very driven person to compete, and I think that, it, it definitely puts up a guard for me sometimes where I, I I maybe just look like quite a stiff individual. Like I've, I've got one thing on my mind and that's it and that's to win. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I definitely love winning and snowboarding. It gives me the ability to do that at a high level and, and, it, and I really enjoy that. Um, but I think, you know, James, for example, you know, we make sure that we go up and I didn't start snowboarding to win. And I think... Um, I started snowboarding because I loved it. And I loved going up with my family and going down the corduroy in Australia and hearing my dad doing the loudest use you've ever heard. And that's what snowboarding was to me originally. And as I was growing up, it definitely, that transition changed a lot where I had a lot of expectation on the competition from a young age. And um, that influenced me and my snowboarding in kind of the wrong light. And then I had to find it again. But yeah, I mean, now... I love it more than I ever have. And, I mean, we were making a joke about it, you know, go up, go through the half pipe, go up, go through the half pipe, go up, go through the half pipe. And it's, to some, it sounds like so repetitive and boring. But to me, I just, I love it. Like, I, I just generally, genuinely haven't lost that passion for doing that. And I think um, I was never really great at school either so this is snowboarding was like my connection to feeling like I was 
accepted at something and I was good at something. So, and it's only really this one thing that I've been, I guess, um, better than other people at from a young age. And then I kind of enjoyed that, that competition element. And then here I am now, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I do in the background that I am very religious about. And, uh, there's a lot of elements, you know, I, as I said, I want to be doing this for a long time and, um, there's a lot of things that I kind of aspire. I mean, I want to go up and obviously compete and, and be competitive, but I want to do it in my way too. Um, so I do, sorry, back to your question, but I do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of stretching. I do a lot of, I pay a lot of attention to, you know, the food that I'm eating and, um, I guess a lot of elements that can make sure that I can go up every day and enjoy it as much as possible. So I feel like it gets to a point where sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe it's your body physically that doesn't want you to go up and you're not being able to do what you want. And I want to, I think, I think that me being very on top of those things helps me go up and enjoy snowboarding every day for why I love it. And that's because I love it. And I, I feel like if I start kind of not, caring as much about those things that I'm doing now then eventually I'm going to go up and be like oh my back hurts or this hurts and this hurts and it's kind of just a downward spiral from there so I don't want that feeling <laughs> and I'm and I'm young still but like how old are you I'm 26 26 Damn, so young yeah, yeah like he's still talk, he's comparing yeah. like the Brady yeah, Brady's, Brady's like 40 right <laughs> over 40 over 40 yeah he's, but uh going back there's a bunch of stuff I want to kind of circle back around and touch on uh a when you're talking about again, you know, doing the laps or whatever, it's I re, I got it. I didn't get it in the pipe. We we rode the half pipe together today, and Dude. it was good conditions actually. And I was like, okay, this thing's pretty pretty goddamn fun. I could see the I could see the draw. Twenty two foot. The twenty two foot. Yeah, but uh, right crippler. Yeah, we. Yeah, he uh, followed me. Tutorial I, video. I tried to get in there and flex and let the let the dogs know I got <laughs> I got a little moves. bark in Still there. Still got it. Still got a little just crippler <laughs> wide open, no grab, like just. Waiting to land flat, but not, let's pivot off of that and back to the jump line, for example. The jump line, I get that same thing where I'm like, again, again. Like, I get to the bottom, I'm like, again. And it reminds me of when I was a little kid jumping into the pool, and you know, you do a flip off the diving board, and you swim over to the edge, and then you run back to the diving board, and you do another flip, and you're like, again, again, again. And that's what I love when you get a good lap going like that. But I was genuinely curious because the other day when we showed up to that fight, it was horrible conditions, like mm. icy, there was a kink. And I'm like, I was thinking to myself, you know, does Scotty enjoy this or is this a job? Mm. There's elements 100% where I'm like, this is a job. Like I, there's, I have days where I feel a little bit like I don't really want to be here because of what you're saying. It's 22-foot wall. It's sheet ice. It might be snowing sideways. It's windy. And there's, uh, I guess, yeah, there's definitely that element where I'm like, I'd prefer to be doing something else. But then there, in my other brain, I'm like, I, I kind of like that. Like, that's like what I grew up riding. We didn't always have the best um, best weather. And I, I still thrive on that. And I think I as well kind of see it as an opportunity when the weather's not that great to work on things that I wouldn't do on a really good day. So... Um, and that might be riding switch or whatever it is. Maybe I'm being too serious and I need to have a joke and do some slashes or do some hand plants I've never done. So I try and like come out of every day with something that uh, I'm happy about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've shown up at 
like events like China, for example, it was like 30 kilometer wind sideways, sheet ice. And like, it makes me question what I'm doing. <laughs> but then, I mean, I also love it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one to answer, honestly, but um, it definitely has its job moments. No doubt. What made you settle in on half pipe? I grew growing up. I always did both. I always did slope style half pipe and I kind of always just naturally migrated to the half pipe. I always really enjoyed it. I love the technicality of it. Um, it always just got my heart pumping a little bit more, just like the margin for error is very small. Uh, and yeah, I always just liked it. I think when I was like 13, well, from super young till I was 17, um, I went to, oh, sorry, I went to Russia for both. I did um, slope style and half pipe in Sochi, 2014 Olympics. And it was, and it was great. Like it was a goal of mine, but I, I kind of came out just feeling like a bit of jack of all trades, master of none. So, and I always, I just kind of took a deep dive into what I really did love and I loved half pipe. So I just was like, I'm going to really dedicate myself to the half pipe and, and see how far I can go with it. Looks yeah. like it worked, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so running running back to the early Australia days, um, you grew up outside Melbourne. Uh, Melbourne? Melbourne? I don't Mel- know. Melbourne. Melbourne is the American way to say it. Uh, and then basically kind of were excelled at a young age. And then I think you were kind of like promising, you know, one juniors, correct? And then ultimately people were kind of calling you, the next, the next Sean White, from what I understand, right? There's some of that thrown around, and like, how was uh, how was kind of dealing with that pressure at a young age? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, they did throw that around a little bit, um, and it. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. I think I, I was like very ta- like very talented when I was younger, like snowboarding. Like I'd go up and I I would just do tricks without thinking about it, and and I think like when you quite young you know, like in any any young kid does that like go up hit a bike jump or go surf a wave that looks really scary because you kind of ha- don't have that fear factor yet and um I did a lot of competitions and I was doing really well in a lot of those competitions and then when I was about 14 years old I kind of I, I got an I got an opportunity to go to my first Olympics in 2010 and then I just remember it so clearly, like I had this crazy transition from loving snowboarding to, so pardon my French, but fucking hating it. I, I really didn't like it. And because I was doing it for a reason other than why I started, and that was, it was, I had a lot of pressure around me as being this prodigy and people were, um, I guess trying to push me in that direction, which was great. And I appreciated all the support, but I think internally for me, I'd lost my love and I was being told to do things that I didn't understand. And I went through this whole crazy phase of, um, going into my teenage years, I became insecure. Um, I cared a lot about what people thought of me. Um, I guess I hit puberty. I was growing and, and obviously being, you know, a individual teenage boy I would never show my emotion and I kind of shrugged off anytime anyone would say anything to me and I was tried to act like the big guy like everything was under control but in inside I was just like dying like my 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 love for the sport was just kind of going out the window which was really sad and it wasn't really until 
fortunately I made the Olympics, which was, which was great. But for me, it was just like such a weight off my shoulders. Um, because after that, I felt like I could go back to being the Scotty James that I wanted to be. And, um, even now to this day, like I remember those years when I was younger and I was doing quite well in competitions and winning junior jams at US Open now to this day I'm like what would it what would Scotty James do at 13 years old because that's like my happy place and when I'm when I'm in that mind frame and mindset when I'm snowboarding it's powerful for me and and when I went through that phase it was a really good lesson for me to learn because I I learned a lot about myself and um yeah I mean that that experience of of going through that was pretty nuts and I don't really like talk about it like seeking sympathy or thinking that I was hard done by and all this kind of stuff but I just it's really good for me to think about it because I I learned at a young age the real meaning of life in a way which was you know we we live a short life and we should go out and do what we love every single day and fortunately mine is snowboarding and I had to teach myself to find that again so it sucks that you have to learn that super young but and 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 um I had a lot of, I guess, pressure, so I could never really talk about it. And I remember, like, super specifically, one time I came back from a, um, I came back from a Europa Cup in Switzerland. I mean, in uh, yeah, sorry, in Switzerland. And I had all this, like, you know, Scotty, you've, you have to do this at this event. If you don't, you know, like, you might not go to the Olympics, and and it just became all about the Olympics. And I was like, it sounded like a really good idea until I kind of started to dive into it a little bit and I came home and I didn't do very well I cut my week short and I came home and I just remember being in my bed just like crying for like hours because I felt like I let everyone down and then from that day forward I just like had a really hard time snowboarding and then I found it again and here I am but um yeah it was a crazy experience for sure the pressure huh yeah Yeah. one thing that uh I heard about that I kind of want to just bookmark is the fact you're talking about trying to fit in. And I think that like as all the humans, especially in the younger generation, you're, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to fit in. I can kind of relate to just trying to fit in. And it's, you know, even, even now when I look at snowboarding, you look at kind of the, the core nucleus of snowboarding, our, our immediate circle. And like most people tend to like smoke weed, drink, fuck off. Like, and, um, it's almost a way, it's a way of fitting in. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, and, and then going back to like the, the, a lot of the snowboarders that were drawn to, you look at, you know, myself, Danny Cass growing up, he was known for smoking weed and he would, he would, um, he would like, how do I say it? I've watched him smoke a, a cannon and then go win Vans triple crown. And, and now there's a little bit more and, and obviously you've expressed you like to have fun, but you also kind of take it seriously and, and are like, yeah, I want to win. I want to take care of my body. Sure. I'll have a couple beers here and there, but like I'm here to, to do business. And I, I admire that as much as, you know, I, I just think that that's maybe not something that's always admired in the core nucleus of snowboarding. Do you ever feel that? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I, I like to go about my perception of snowboarding without an agenda. I think I just, I, for me, as I said before, I am a very, perceived as a very maybe more intense guy for for snow like as a snowboarder I you know I train I go to the gym I 
go up and I want to win events and I want to do all this kind of stuff, which I have no issue saying that is the truth. That is what I want to do. I think what I think what kind of bums me out a little bit is that because sometimes uh, I guess you you talk about the core industry is that they have an agenda of what the perception of snowboarding is. But for me, I'm like, we're all snowboarding. Like, shouldn't we all just kind of just back each other? Because yeah, I understand. Talk shit. I might be wearing skis. Then I get it. But like, I'm out there doing it because I love it just as much as you and anyone at this table. And maybe I'm not doing those things that fit the mold of what their perception of a snowboarder is, but it doesn't mean that I'm, um, I'm not a snowboarder. It's like, I grew up, I, first time I went snowboarding, I was three years old. Like it's been my life. I, I'm not one of those guys that kind of went up and I get it now. It's at, at the, the perception of competition riders for sure. I, I mean, I see it a little bit in slope style and, and a little bit in half pipe where, People don't know how to turn and they go up and they hit airbags and that's that's how they snowboard, um, which I get. Like, And honestly, I love a bit of shit talking too. Like, If people want to say something about me, I actually love it and I think it's funny. I never take anything personally. So I'm not saying like we should all cut out talking shit about each other, but I just think that um, just because we – aren't all on the same path striving for the same thing but we all have a one plank of wood strapped to our feet and we all love it for the same reason then that's all that really matters at the end of the day that's kind of how I view it like you know there's guys like I'm open to say like I don't think I have as good a style as many of the guys in the half pipe and many of the guys that ride street or hit the backcountry and I have the utmost respect for them because that's how they want to portray themselves to the world and that's their vision of snowboarding and this is mine and it doesn't mean I don't love it more because I want to go up and I want to win competitions. It's like that's how I love to snowboard and that's just kind of it, I guess. Dude, I, I love hearing that because there's – I almost had – I assumed – I'm just going to be totally honest. Like I assumed since I – even if I'm seeing you over at Woodward, you have your coach and you have – you know, and you're – it almost seems like a, a, a serious training deal – it almost seems like you don't maybe assume that somebody doesn't love it because you're like, oh damn, they're taking it, they're taking it seriously like a job, which fucking all of us kind of are too when we're chucking on whatever we're chucking on. But uh, I think it's just good. I'm I'm so happy to hear that, like the passion come out in your voice when you talk about something because it's like maybe we had assumptions or I can say I did, and it's cool to know. Oh, this motherfucker loves this shit. That's awesome. In fact, remains if you're not training on your level, you're not going to be the dude on the podium. Yeah, you exactly. have to be doing what you're doing, or else you're not going to be Scotty James that you are today. So yeah, I, I have so much respect for it. Ah, oh, thanks. I uh, I kind of had like an epiphany years ago, and I felt. Honestly, like my, I'm very close knit with my family and they just like helped me achieve what I'm doing now so much that I'd, I, they would be sad to think that I ever think that I'm going to let them down. Cause you just don't do that with your family. It's unconditional love. But for me, I was just like, yeah, in a way I was going up and I, I, I went through those years where maybe when I wasn't loving it as much and, um, where I wasn't as, as motivated and I, I had these people around me that just wanted the best for me and I kind of had this epiphany where I was just like, what am I doing? Like, if I don't want to go up, if I want to compete, um, I don't want to just go up and participate.
because that's what I was doing. I'm like, I'm either here to do it properly or don't do it at all. And like since that day, I've just been so like driven and and it's more so because I know like what my parents did for me to get here where I'm like, well, I'm going to fucking do it for you because you did that. Like, I mean, I'm from Australia. It's kind of unheard of for anyone really. I mean, Tora Bright, you know, there were definitely some super big names in snowboarding from Australia and some young guys coming through. But I, I was like, I, I owe it to, I owe it to my family who really put in the time to get me here. So I'm just going to go for it as long as I can, as hard as I can. And if we want to talk about competitions, I'm going to win as long as I can because yes, I'm doing it for me, but I'm, I owe it to a lot of people as well. So my meaning and my, my drive and my passion is, isn't just about, I guess, winning. It's a, it's the big picture. So. God, that's such a good point. It's like, if you want to honor the people that believe in you, fucking try hard. Like, yeah. That's a great, that's just a great point to yeah. be taken there. Um, dude, I kind of want to talk about some Aussie, some Aussie shit. Um, I'm down. You guys, you know, you're, <laughs> there's not a lot of Aussie snowboarders and you guys have a lot of Aussie pride. Uh, what do you guys think? I know you guys use meters and we use feet it's in true. the States. Um, ours is better. What are your thoughts? Uh, people always tell, people always tell me about the, the toilet water going the opposite way. Say, so, oh, you ever notice the toilet water goes the opposite way? Like, no, I never, I just watched the, the water go down the toilet. I mean, I don't really think about it. Just it just goes counterclockwise. Does it? Yeah. You know, see, you're one of those guys. It's only because, that. it's only because <laughs> you're just on the opposite side of the earth and it has something to do with the poles. And <laughs> okay. So <laughs> he's, he's got the facts. facts on this. He's your fat guy on that type of shit. Always. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, not a miles guy. I, I mean, I feel like if I'm honest, I feel like, and I totally get it because the United Kingdom came in, tried to basically take over the world. That was their goal. Right. So when America were like, no, you're not, it's not happening here. Uh, and you guys were like, we're going to just go the complete opposite direction to everyone else because we're America and that's how we do it. And that's what I love about America. And that's what I love about the American people. Got so much pride. So if you want to do, he's earning some brownie points with American points. If you want to, if you want to do miles and you want to do your inches and whatnot, go for it. I get it. But, uh, yeah, I think we're we're I'm obviously so stuck in my kilometers and centimeters and whatnot that it's hard for me to make that adjustment. But uh you know it's even actually more uh which is even trickier is I was um I don't know if you guys know this, but I have my pilot's license, like a fly planes and knots is tough. Like when you're doing that conversion. The wind speed is not. Is no that, idea what a no, knot is. They use like, them on boats too, I think. Right? Yeah, they use it on boats. Yeah, yeah, right? boats is the same. That's the speed. Yeah, the speed is not. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't even. I can't even do miles to. to I just the thing that's great about <laughs> America. It's like uh, we're gonna take feet. We're gonna take inches. Like none of it's gonna fucking like actually combine properly. Miles. We use all these increments of things that don't make any sense. We're gonna make sure everybody else fucking learns them. We Welcome just want it our, our own <laughs> yeah. way. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, another Aussie I question it. I have is, uh, do you know anybody that's ever been beaten up by a boxing kangaroo? Uh, I had a close encounter once. Uh, I was on my BMX bike with my friends riding across a paddock. And kangaroos are everywhere in Australia. Um, and I was riding across this paddock, and I was I, I grew up in a town called Warrandyte. 
and the, the next suburb over was called like Eltham. And we were riding across anyway. This and there's always like one kind of pretty staunch kangaroo in a in a. Um, I'm not sure what a group of kangaroos is called. A mob. A mob. Alpha it male. Is. Are we talking about alpha male? Was that what you mean by yeah? Smoke? Cut, yeah, yeah, like a kind of big bigger alpha male. And I was riding across, and I think he thought like there was some joeys, and I think he thought that we were like I don't know, getting too close to them. And I and I it started bouncing at me, and my friends had kind of rode off. And I had to jump over this barbed wire fence and I and I got myself, it jumped over the fence, followed me, I ditched my um I well I didn't ditch my bike, I grabbed it and I pulled myself into the corner of this barbed wire fence with my with my bike. And what they do is they get on their tail and like roost their legs at you like that. Like the they've, only got, they've only got little T Rex arms. Mm-hmm. They'll gut you with their so, feet. So the the boxing thing is Do they so I've Forgive my ignorance, but they fuck people up, right? Yeah, yeah if, and they, they got, like, like, big claws, too. But, yeah, he gave me, like, two kicks and then jumped away, but it was pretty terrifying. There's the big red ones, too, right? Yeah, they're the big ones up in, north, like, maybe? yeah, right in the middle of Australia, like, in the Nullarbor. They're, like, and big, they're hella muscular. Huge muscular. Yeah. They're, like, pushing seven foot tall. What's yeah. the other animal that's super tough, gets hit? On the side of the road all the time? Oh, wombats. Wombat. Yeah. Is it true that wombats have square buttholes? Uh, their poop is always square. It's square. And they build houses yeah. out of it. Next time I'm driving and there's a dead wombat, I'll have a look and Dude, I'll send you a message. I need to know why their why their poop <laughs> comes out in squares. These it's are like the hard-hitting layers. topics we need to get to brick the Brick layers, these wombats are. Makes, I mean, it's efficient. They live in, for building. They live in these shit like houses. Shit igloos. He could dry, yeah. he could, shit igloo. could dry it, use it as wood. Also, other Aussie shit you guys use at the house, he calls the trash can the bin. Yep. Bin. Uh, what are some other ones people give you shit for as a, in America? Uh, at the uh, bin, f- uh, soccer is called footy. Yeah, footy. Taylor made is a uh, pre-rolled cigarette like a, by a company. Yeah, Taylor made. And a, a rollies when you roll ciggy, it. Yeah. Uh, we call those darts, though. Cigarettes are called darts in darts. Australia. Yeah. Um, what else do we have? You have a yeah, different name bin. for everything. Pretty much have another language. My brother what did you actually, call a truck the other day? Um, a ute. A ute. They call yeah, the truck call a it, ute. Call it a ute. Like chuck your motorbikes in the back of the ute. Motorbike, too. That's also not really a much of an American term. That's, that's a term I use, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I always get made fun of that. Maybe I learned that in Australia. <laughs> Welcome to the motorbike championships. <laughs> True. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess you guys say uh, motocross. Mm-hmm. I guess it's all right to call them dirt bikes, right? Yeah, dirt yeah that bike. works. That works. He always gives me shit. For we got to get our jabs in where we can. <laughs> it's yeah, important. For it. Let's get into our breakout moment presented by our friends over at Ten Barrel and Pub Beer. Pub Beer supports us. You should support them. Their tagline is cheap, fun beer. Now, Scotty, before snowboarding became a big, serious career, back when it was cheap and fun, do you have a memorable breakout moment? A memorable breakout moment. For me, actually, because it was such like a big, um, big deal as a junior to win the U.S. Open Junior Jam, like all the legends like had, that we were competing had won that. Um, so that was kind of like I guess a breakout moment for me. Um, I guess been doing a lot of those like junior events. I remember like my parents were like, you know, this is this is the you know, the big one and a lot of other people were and um and I remember as well, like I remember winning the junior jam and 
uh, Pat Bridges was there and he started telling me about everyone and won the Junior Jam and it was really awesome. But uh, I think that's one that, that, that was kind of a breakout moment for me where I started to carry that momentum competitively. That was uh, the Junior Jam at US Open? Yeah, 2000 and 2008. Did your parents roll with you for these events? Nah, oh. uh, my parents went there. No, nah, they were oh. they were at home in Australia. But. Who was your coach, legendary coach? Legendary coach at the time was uh, Mr. Benny Bright. Uh, Tora Bright's brother. He pretty much, they and both of them, the Brights were like my second family. Uh, I still talk to them all the time, Tora. And I see Benny around a lot. He's still coaching. But yeah, at the time, he was uh, he was the man that helped me. Dude, shout out to those supportive parents that let a 13-year-old kid <laughs> fly around to the junior jam with a bunch of, probably in a room with some people that are getting inebriated or I don't, maybe you weren't in the in the circumference and, and uh, I don't know. Shout yeah. out to, let's give him an air horn. Yeah, seriously, air horn. Uh, my parents, they, um, you know, Tora obviously was on a on a great trajectory with a c- competition and very straight shooter. So, uh, and Benny was too. He he looked after me. He honestly was like took super good care of me and traveled with my books. And my mum would um, fly over to see me sometimes. And but yeah, I remember that day at the airport. Oof, when I left, I was yeah, I was thirteen. And I went to the airport, and I remember going to the airport because I was going away. I was going for away for six months from my family, and I remember being like, "Don't cry, like don't don't do it, don't don't cry when you get to the airport." And I just like was thinking about it so much that I was like getting on my plane to go overseas, and it was just, yeah, it was it was. Shock. I pretty much cried from Melbourne to Sydney because I knew I wasn't going to see him for a long time. And, uh, yeah, don't mind admitting that. But, uh, yeah, no, seriously, credit to my parents because as well, obviously it was such a massive um, commitment to send the youngest um, away. They also weren't really getting the most positive energy from anyone to let them do that either because no one snowboards in Australia. You play tennis, you surf, you swim, you do those things that are in your backyard. So credit to my mum and dad to kind of realise my passion for snowboarding and letting me do it. So thanks, mum and dad. Give another horn. Dude, 13 is like a baby. baby. Dude, you're not even, like I think about when I was 13, you're like borderline just a, a child. I, you know? I would have been pretty hyped to leave for six months, though. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> no, it was definitely, definitely awesome for sure. It was uh it was very, very cool. I mean, I learned so many things at a 13. You don't learn at school. I mean, I would go back. I would, like, go back to school and ask my teachers. I would come in and be like, how are you? And my friends would laugh at me. Like, you just – there's just, like, random things like that that you learn out in the world at a young age. Like, to ask someone how they are was, like, weird. I don't know. It was, like – Because your friends friends didn't care about the teachers or – No, just, like – weren't – that social grace wasn't installed and instilled in them yet? Yeah, you don't don't really learn that, like, social – yeah, you don't like really learn how to be social or almost not like an adult, really. Yeah, like quite young. So, good way to do is just throw somebody in the mix. And, and uh, one thing I want to footnote here is that you talk about the junior jam. I'm pretty sure that the last time Pat won a contest, it was the junior jam. And then to keep moving forward, um, going back to I think he told me that a few times. <laughs> Pat just Bridges, once. no, Pat Moore. Oh, when Pat he, Moore. he won the Moore, ju- yeah. junior jam, and he's, it's a joke because he hasn't won anything since. <laughs> oh damn! But um, going going back to uh, being, if you fast forward a little bit, you're 15. You go to Sochi. You're the youngest Australian 
uh, is it competitor to ever go to Sochi? Yeah, it was or, sorry, it was the Olympics uh, or Vancouver. Or is that is it, is it Vancouver? That's yeah. my bad. Sochi's yeah. So Vancouver, you're 15. You go for a slope and half pipe, yep. and that experience is wild. But one thing I want to talk about is then you go back to fucking school in yeah. Australia after being in the Olympics. You must have been the, the man, dude. I definitely felt like man. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> I was coming back feeling feeling uh, pretty pretty good with a head too big for my shoulders. But uh, yeah, I so I went to my first Olympics in 2010. I was 15. And then after that, I went back to grade nine at school and it was such a, it was a a very funny transition because, you know, you're on kind of the world or the pinnacle of competition, I guess. And, and then, you know, a month later I was like running out on the school football team in grade nine, just being super normal again. And I I don't want to say like, honestly, it's not like superstardom fame or anything, but you kind of get a glimpse of like that attention of being on tv and people wanting to know about your life that's not the usual case every day for a 15 year old so a lot of things that i was exposed to but in a way in in the australian culture which i respect but also has its dark sides is that we're very grounding people like you know we you grow up i go home and even if i showed a glimpse of being a little bit too big for my shoes, it was just straight away like bashed out of me. Not not literally physically, but like people let you know, like, all right, calm down, buddy. Just relax, you know, don't don't get too big for your shoes. And the contrary to that of what I mean by that is I love that about Americans in particular or America, is that no dreams too big. And in Australia it's it's a little bit different where it's it's a bit more of a small mount small town mentality where it's like you can't be too big because you know i don't know why but that's just oh. that's just the mentality and we what do you call, think you're better than us or whatever that but exactly. yeah go, interrupt go ahead a little bit a little bit of we call it tall poppy syndrome so i came back and yeah i went into grade nine at school so i definitely yeah came from this amazing you know olympic experience back to school and i must say like my school that i went to uh was called southwood it was in um ringwood um, near my hometown and they were amazing. They were always so encouraging of me doing everything that I wanted to do it was not conventional. Like I was always, I would always miss first and second term of school because I was over here in the U S riding and they were super supportive of that. And then I would, I would miss fourth term too. So, um, honestly that was like a huge, um, a huge thing for me too, because, I, I tried to go, I went to a few schools and they basically, snowboarding was just not an option. Like it was just like, okay, you either go to this school or you quit snowboarding. Like that was the ultimatum. Obviously I wanted to snowboard. So, um, and my parents helped me find that right place and I found it and yeah, it was cool. But yeah, it was definitely a crazy transition between going to the Olympics and going back to grade nine at school. <laughs> I imagine the ladies were just lined up in ninth grade back from the Olympics. Ninth grade, yeah. So I went to a I actually went to an all boys school. Oh. So yeah, not too many ladies around. You got robbed. But I must say we we would catch the bus. So we had like a sister school. So we would catch the bus from Southwood over to Tintern. And we had about like 15 minutes with the girls before they would get on their bus to go home and we would get on our bus to go home. So there might have been a few moments, 15-minute moments there where 
You know, I was definitely <laughs> definitely flex, the man at the bus my, stop. <laughs> yeah, flexing my flexing my Olympic uh, status within the within the year nine. I would have been wearing girls. the medal or whatever. <laughs> Swear the uniform. Yeah, the <laughs> uniform, whatever, whatever I could. Hey, do you guys know I went to the Olympics? <laughs> He's hey, got a cutout. I went to the Olympics. <laughs> Dude, uh, going back to, you know, anybody that's experienced, like, some type of success in their, you know, late teens, early 20s that are at a younger age, there is, like, this this moment where you need a, a family member, a friend. You got to get kicked, knocked down a couple pegs because there's that early, early, it's like, it's first fame syndrome or whatever. I think there's a name for it where you kind of, like, you're like, I think I'm hot shit. And then you got to get, like, the shit kicked out of you in life. And then uh, what role does your... Family, I feel like brothers and and having family members—they're the first people to say some really mean shit to cut you down, right? What yeah. role did they play in kind of keeping you grounded? Yeah, I mean, it could have been—I could have been kind of coming off a great season or something, and it would have been as easy as me wanting to watch a TV show that my brothers didn't, and then the reality comes out of what they really think of me. <laughs> so that's always—it's uh, always a short telling moment of of being grounded. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always had a super close supportive family and they've always helped me do everything that I want to do in my life. And, um, yeah, obviously snowboarding is a huge part of my journey and they're always very encouraging of that. And yeah, for sure. I mean, I had my moments where I was, where I was definitely coming home, being pretty proud of myself, I would say. And I've got, um, the youngest of four. So I have an elder sister and two elder brothers, and they definitely kept me in check for sure. But also, I find like in um, in snowboarding, I know it's like really big in like surfing, but like that kind of grom beat down mentality, it was still big when I was quite young. So I was always around guys that would like, obviously not beat me down, but like make sure I was checked all the time. Like, you know, and it might've been stuff around the house, like, uh, as I said, I was I was thirteen, traveling around with Benny and Tor, and we'd be around people, and you know I'd be cleaning the house and cleaning up their shit and doing not Benny and Tor, but you know other people around. So I was always like told to be grounded. I don't think they, I don't think that like kind of grom thing is much of a deal anymore. I don't know, like it's not really like I've I've heard some stories of guys growing up surfing that just had. Terrible. A rough one, right? Oh, rough. <laughs> like, you know, taped to, you know, stop signs in Australia or give way signs in Australia naked and, you know, just stuff like that. I never did any of that, but they are obviously all grounded differently, but I don't think it's much of a big deal nowadays. <laughs> well, that brings us to our guest question. Our guest question is presented by Solomon Snowboards. Uh, if you're looking for a woman's snowboard and you're a woman uh, or a man, uh, check out the Solomon Gypsy. Desiree Melanson designed it. She did the graphic. There's all kinds of deeper meanings tied into the graphic. She puts her heart and soul into that thing. And uh, it's just a great all-around women's board. Now, with that, let's get into the guest question. Hey, Scotty. Uh, this is Andrew. Um, when I was younger, I used to watch you ride uh, the Australian mountains. And if memory serves me correct, you used to ride in bright pink furry cow pants um do you still own those today and if you did would you wear them <laughs> this is true this is very true i actually did I, I i went um i've always been not as much now but for when i was younger i was super out there like i was wearing you know the 
shoes with like fake bling on them and the super oversized baggy pants and in every single different color I had pretty much zero color coordination I was riding I had my my dad was a graphic designer so I always had him put like crazy designs on my helmet and just the most horrendous colors you've ever seen um so I was pretty pretty out there but I I, I had my dad um make me these we went down to um I forget what the store's called but they they sell like material for like rugs and carpets like interior designing um place it was called blue light actually and i went in there and i went in and i picked out three different colored pants that they were going to make me that i would snowboard in and we took them to a tailor and they made me pants one were they were all like super shaggy rug too like they and i was racing in them too at the time like i was that's what you did in australia like you go through into schools and you like race and whatever and whatnot and they were probably by far the most aerodynamic thing out there and all the other kids were in their race suits. And I had these bright fluoro pink ones. I had um, some cow pants, like kind of cow hide, fake cow hide pants. And I just ran them. I loved it. Really, uh, I mean, it was kind of nice too because I, I did well in the races and all these kids were wearing their race suits and I wasn't about that. And I was wearing my cow pants and my, my pink pants. Slap that some respect on that. <laughs> Doing it your own way. Dude, I think you should bring those things back, man. I think those are kind of on trend. I see a lot of people rocking. Like, if you had some fat Jankos and just, yep. you know, switch your whole kit up, I think you'd just be just kind of right on trend with some of that stuff. That's very true. 100%. Yeah, I've seen, seen some good things floating around. But it's kind of, it goes back to, like, what I was saying. It was same when I went through that transition of being super insecure. I lost all that stuff. That was, like, me. Mm-hmm. And that reflected pretty heavily on me being a snowboarder and being an individual. Like, I was so worried about what people thought of me and um, that I stopped doing those things that was, like, very, I guess, personalized to me. And, you know, might have been whatever it could have been wearing the cow pants or the pink pants or wearing something in the street like you just kind of go into this crazy shell and then snowboarding is obviously all about how you express yourself up there so if you can't express yourself in life and you sure as hell can't do it when you're snowboarding so i learned that lesson i'm not wearing my pink pants anymore but i've definitely sorted out my insecurities of uh, what people think of me for sure <laughs> yeah that's that's uh interesting i mean i love i love that topic just in itself and what do you think kind of helped you navigate through being okay with yourself i know it's kind of a broad question but like did you ever have an epiphany like nobody gives a shit or like that's where i've landed you know as you get comfortable with yourself older do you have any uh, insight to that i think a really good one that i've always stuck by now is other than, you know, your close individual people, but no one really cares about you. Like, people have opinions, and they'll say what you're doing is right and wrong or whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, they're not gonna, they're not losing sleep over something you're wearing, and they're not losing sleep over your decision-making. It's, like, it's their opinion. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, and that's fine. But I think... If, if we go through our days so worried about what Bob next door or Sandra down the street says about us, then you're kind of always never really going to be who you were made to be. And it sounds, I guess, sounds a little bit deep for sure. But I had this epiphany where, yes, snowboarding is um, 
somewhat of a, I guess, well, I mean, I go up and I get judged every day. It's like in, in competition, but there's, again, there's this like perception of what a snowboarder should be. And I think, and that's not even just on the mountain. It's, it's away from the mountain. It's, you know, you should, maybe you should be drinking five beers or smoking weed or whatever it is. And that's, again, I, if you want to do that, I'll go for it. Like I have no issue of you doing that, but I think when, when you, when I really took a hard look at myself and, you know, I didn't really dive into the, any of that stuff anyway, but I had my moments where I was like, you know, mate, it's like, sh- should I have a beer? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, should I, like, I've just finished semifinals at us open. I've got, um, I've got finals on Saturday. Like everyone's like having a beer that I'm going to be compete. Like maybe I should do that. I don't know. And I was just like, I could never nav- navigate it. Like now I'm like, hell no, I'm not doing that. I want to win on Saturday. Like I'm not going to stand around and drink a beer. Like I love doing that, but there's a time and a place. And I, forever I battled with that because we all want to be accepted, not just in snowboarding, we want to be accepted in society and people that we admire um, and look up to. And I have a lot of people that I look up to in snowboarding. And I think even now, you know, I still, I, I would love to be accepted. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not, but like, I definitely used to put such an emphasis on it that it kind of just like ruined me a little bit and what I thought was the right thing to do. And since I made that transition every single day, I'm like really, really happy and I'm doing exactly what I want to do and whether people agree with it or not, or they think I should be doing something else. Like I honestly just don't care. I'm like, this is me. You either like it or you don't. And I don't think I'm like, um, I don't really think I'm like, uh, what's the word? I'm not like, I'm not a dick, but I'm, I definitely, if, if, I don't know, like sometimes, I don't know, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but um, I just really like to give energy to things that I, I like to do instead of kind of wasting time doing things that I think that other people think I should be doing. That's the end of the sentence <laughs> no that's perfect there's so that's much the end end of the sentence. No, I, I know this shit's deep but i don't give a fuck i love talking about it and i think that as snowboarders we you know people you put your expectations on how somebody should be oh they should be like this person we want we like our winners to go get fucked up because then they're a common man like us or we like you know there, there there's an element of that too and then also talking about what you said too you know the thing i like when you're talking about putting energy towards people you care about, you know, you could have, you could have 5 million followers on Instagram. And if shit hits the fan in your life, you're still only calling those handful of people that are close to you. So like, why not nourish those relationships to the people that are close to you instead of trying to get like a lot of times I'll find, say in my own personal life, maybe I'm spending too much time staring at my phone and I'm neglecting the relationship with the people close to me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's cool how you're kind of like, yeah, there's, you know, from, from my perspective, you're not necessarily like socially trying to interact with every single person you meet, trying to be friends with every snowboarder, but you're, you're, you care about the ones in your corner, right? Is that a safe observation to say? I would say, yeah, that's a safe observation. And, um, what I was going with before, I think maybe sometimes, I don't know, maybe I paint this picture in my head, but maybe sometimes just I'm perceived as this super stiff driven, I don't care about anything but winning kind of guy, which is which is fine. But, um, and then also with that is there's this, like, you're kind of a dick because you don't want to hang out with us and you want, don't want to do all this stuff. And that's, and that's fine. Again, that's everyone's choice, but it's just like, 
it doesn't make me not like people or have an opinion about someone just because they don't want to do something. Mm-hmm. And I think um, at the end of the day, I feel like when people do do that, like when they kind of get on you about, oh, why don't you drink a beer or why don't you do this and why don't you, you know, get amongst us, it's kind of because they're in a way – might be a big call, but they're kind of almost insecure about what they're doing. Like they might not be doing what they actually want to do. And, and, and they're kind of still fighting with that, like shit, like I need to do that because I want to, I want to fit in. And again, like I, um, all of us, I mean, I want to fit in too, but I think I kind of just, I fit in my own way. I love snowboarding. I love everyone that snowboarding. I watch snowboarding religiously and, yeah, I mean, we we all can just live our own lives a little bit more. Maybe I don't know. When your real <laughs> friends aren't going to give you shit if you don't want to go have a beer, you know. It's yeah, the ones exactly. That aren't really, even that maybe don't know you that well. Yeah, and everyone wants to party with the winner. You know, they used to have that ten percent rule. Yeah, Luckily, I've stuck to that there. Have you? Yeah, sometimes if I go out, I don't. I mean, as long I, as there's I, not a competition in a, in a day or whatever. Yeah, maybe <laughs> if there's not a competition in a day or so, but uh, I definitely. Again, I love celebrating for sure. I mean, when the time's right. Exactly, exactly. There's different ways to do it. You don't have to uh, necessarily get cross-eyed and murder 98 beers. And, <laughs> but that's one way to do it. That is I've one definitely, way to do it. I've done that myself. Um, I think it might be time for uh, You Know What, Muds. Ooh, name that video part. Here we go. Oh. Uh-oh. Okay, uh... You know, you're a contest guy. Mm-hmm. We have a low expectation for you. Okay. I uh, appreciate what, that. What's your confidence level, zero through ten? <laughs> um, the core inside of me is saying, yeah, you got this. But the, the comp guy is saying, you've got no chance, so <laughs> let's give it a go. All right, here we go. <laughs> Um, it's an iconic part. Is it? Uh, it's not in picture. This is it. It is not in picture. This that I know of. Um, absent films. That's correct. Future proof. That's correct. Woo! I don't. I, I think. Uh, is it? Is it? Um, like JP. It is not. He's from Switzerland. One of my favorites <laughs> in future was Gigi, but. I don't think I don't know where Gigi's from. Switzerland kind of gives it away. Austria. Gigi's from Austria. Uh, Oh, so you said Switzerland? He was on Burton for a long time. Oh, man. This is not sure about his current sponsor situation, but it's Nicholas Mueller in uh, Absinthe. Let me tell you something. Sorry. That's probably the worst guy that you couldn't guess, honestly. It's a great video part. It's the last (laughs) part. You got movie. Yeah. Movie and company, movie production company, okay. so it's a win. Yeah. So what, it's a win. what it's a we have hole. here is a bomb hole cooler filled with uh, bomb hole mugs. Uh, we got, we actually got some XL sweatpants um, Ooh, stickers. Yeah. Amazing. What you're going to want to do, take that, put it next to the Olympic gold medal, or sorry, bronze medal, put it next to the X Games medals. It's right up there. It's actually more sought after than you know, more, we call, more sought after. You know where we put this in Australia? It's called the pool room. Oh, the okay the pool room. Yeah, it's where you put all your, all your treasures, all your good stuff. It's called the pool room. Every good Aussie house has a pool room. A pool room. Yep. Don't you guys have a funny name for ACDC too? 
Akadaka. Akadaka. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. a fun little fact. Akadaka. Akadaka. Is that their actual name? Because aren't they Australian? They're Australian. Yeah, they're Australian. Um, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Bon Scott, like all those guys were um, Angus. I think. Was Angus? I'm going to ask Sean. Is, was Angus English? Scottish. Ah, he was. Yeah, English was Scottish. But Bon Scott was um, from Australia. Uh, and yeah. Pretty good. A, a classic pool room has like a, a little bar in it with plenty of skewies, as we say. What's a skewie? Skewie is just like a pint, oh, but smaller. Right. Oh, a little, a little beer. Guy. Smaller, this yeah. A beer. Well, mini beer. Looks like a pint, yeah. Um, and then you have some, you know, you have like all the classic beers of Australia up on the wall. You got a pool table. That's what I called, called the pool room. And then you got all the stuff, you know. It could have been a participation award of one of your children. That goes in the pool <laughs> That goes in the pool room. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. So that's where that cooler's going. Yeah. Love go. it. That's it. Getting front exactly. centers, getting inside the glass, all the whole the nine. 100%. So we still have uh, one more song for our listener viewers for Name That Video Part. Uh, you guys know the drill. Comment on the photo of Scotty on Instagram for a chance to win what, buds? A sticker pack. That's correct. Here we go. That's a classic video part. Not a clue for me on that one. That one's actually cut familiar for me, but couldn't matter. Take a stab if you want. I will bleep it out if I you don't want it. to embarrass myself any more than I already have not being able to name Nicholas Mueller's part. So. Ooh, that's a tough one. Well he kinda gave me he <laughs> gave me some uh low low hanging fruit, kinda like some little crumbles that he might know. Might know. And so uh that was where we got that from. Now, um, let's kind of pivot into a topic that I want to talk about, and it was kind of a moment you had, right, where you were you were competing, you were doing pretty well, and then uh, ultimately you kind of essentially were were podiuming, but you was it was you weren't winning all the time, and you literally kind of flipped a switch and was like, "I'm going to make a change, and, and I'm going to go all in." Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, the specific time I remember, uh, it was. Very vivid for me. Um, it was in 2000 and I think it was 2016. Uh, yeah, it was 2016. End of the season. Uh, I was. I still hadn't made like a US Open finals yet and I'd missed out by one spot twice. Uh, and I was kind of like, boy, I was like boiling up to this for a while. And I missed out again by one spot and I just... Went home. My poor Red Bull helmet was in about a thousand pieces. I just kind of lost my mind. And I was like, from that day forward, I remember I said it to myself. I was like, that's the last time I'm not making a finals at the US Open. And then from then onwards, I also, there was a lot of other aspects that I had to change in my life to to get to where I wanted to get to. Uh, One was how I was going about myself away from snowboarding. Um, you know, and that was more so definitely on the health side and like a few other things like that. Uh, I lost track of my why, why was I doing it? Um, and I think my why wasn't very strong at all. It was kind of like go up, participate, come home, might've done well, hang out with some people later kind of thing. And it was just like, not really, there wasn't much punch to my mentality. And then 
as well the big picture I was really looking about as I touched on before I thought about how much time my family had really put into it and I just felt a little bit like I wanted to show them that I could do what I what we all really wanted me to achieve and that was to be very competitive and and I guess climb in the snowboarding world that I wanted to which was in which was competitively and then um yeah I mean it was a, it was a combination of a lot of things but I think the biggest one was yeah was was a lot about my why I think you know I, as I again touched on before I was going up and I was participating and kind of like going through the motions and and from when I was quite young I was definitely like talented at snowboarding I was I would go up and I would learn tricks without even thinking about it and I was um did really well in the junior events so I think there was a part of me too that knew that I had the talent to do it and I I knew that I had the ability to to get there I feel like if maybe I I didn't have that um initially then it might have been like you know what am I in for and then yeah I mean after that I just really thought to myself like I'm, I'm not going to go through my snowboarding career just kind of being there and competing and 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 that really changed my drive and flat out I was just like I want to dominate like I want to be really competitive and a big reason I guess as well was not only did I want to do very well in the competition world I also wanted to do it my way I, I think you know, now I've I've very heavily gone down that kind of switch backside route, which had been touched before. You know, people like um, Elijah Tita. I know Brett Essie used to do a lot of switch backside riding. Um, Zach Black did a lot of switch, like a lot of those guys. Like I, I watched growing up, and I noticed that there was kind of that niche area that no one really touched on, and and rightfully so. I mean, even still now, I ride switch back a lot, and I still have a lot of issues with it. Um, you really have to stroke it. <laughs> I, I want to uh, interrupt that for the layman's because we have a lot of listeners that maybe aren't familiar with exactly what that is. So, you know, basically it's a, just explain in, in kind of uh, common man terms what it is and, and why it's so difficult. And Yeah, it would be like, to put it uh, in the simplest way, it's basically, I would almost say, I mean, riding with your left hand, like we like naturally snowboarders always go cab, mm-hmm. like in the half pipe on the toe edge. We and off the jumps, um, cab and switchbacks pretty common because. But in the half pipe, there's just so much technicality behind going switch backside. Like you just feel so uncoordinated doing it, and I just really wanted to venture down that road. So I would just say that I mean it's like riding maybe, uh, it's like riding a SA with your left hand and then it kind of never really like it you get better at it maybe by the fifth or sixth page but then you go back five or six pages again when you start to do it so um it's a very it's a very tough one so I think yeah that was important for me in that turning point where I was going to do it I was going to dedicate myself to it but I also wanted to bring something to the table that people weren't really venturing down all that all that much and that was kind of my way of being different um, as, as I said, you know, I'm not really someone, if I'm being honest, where I might over tweak a grab or I really emphasize stuff. And that's something I have to work on and I want to work on because 
that's there's no better feeling in the world than like really putting style into your tricks that you do we mentioned james it's always something he's like really trying to drive home with me uh so going and doing switch backside riding was gave me a gave me a lot of reason why i wanted to go and portray that and that was kind of the story i wanted to tell with my snowboarding but yeah i think it really just so many years of just like being a participant and kind of just going through the motions and just kind of i don't know screwing off i guess i i I hit a boiling point myself and i learned that lesson myself and i just wanted to make a difference for me i guess yeah that's sick when you have that kind of i don't want to call it a rock bottom but like a switch where you're like all right i'm I'm gonna change my whole shit up this isn't working Mm. um and then going back on the switchback side of things we were riding half pipe today and uh scotty did a giant switch method and i kind of made the analogy i was like look you know i I feel like i'm a proficient snowboarder i've I can go down a half pipe, okay. But I was like, you know, if there's a gun to my family's head and they're like, you need to do a double cork in the half pipe, I, I, think, I, I think I could do one. But if there's a gun to my family's head and they're like, you need to do a 10-foot switch backside air, they're all, they're dead. Like, that's not, there's no fucking, there's no fucking way. Wow. Like, it, that I can even make it, like, maybe two feet out. I can even go up the fucking wall. So um, one thing I, I asked you, I was like, how, how did you get so damn good at switch backside? And you had a great answer. Yeah, I just... I like just do it a lot. Like I just repetitively do it. I mean, I I look at snowboarding um, in the half pipe and, you know, there's whispers of some pretty scary stuff like triple corks and, and whatnot and go for it if you want, for sure. Like, I mean, I'm not, That's if that's what people want to do, then do it. But I look at the half pipe and I'm like, well, we all do all these fantastic tricks but no one's gone top to the bottom and done all those tricks at the amplitude switch. So I'm like, I'm going to be like a born again, goofy rider. I like, don't want to ride regular anymore. And that's my way of being like, yeah, we can go down that route of doing very crazy stuff, which that will always be the case. There's always going to be someone pushing it. And I, I want to be one of those people too. I want to be pushing and doing some, some pretty um, crazy tricks as well. But I think in the half pipe specifically, technically, there's just so many more elements than I guess. In I look at slope style, and a jump, you know, you can go off a jump and you can spin each way. And I guess for them, they're at a point where, for sure, I mean, I I watch slope style. I'm like, yeah, they're rewarding more spins, definitely. But the guys definitely still pay attention to, you know, what they're grabbing, and you do see those guys get rewarded like Dusty Hendrickson for example at X Games you know he was re- rewarded for being creative and 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 using his flair and portraying his version of snowboarding and and it paid off and that's and that's amazing so i think it's it's really healthy but i think i mean there's so many different things in in the half pipe that we should be pushing instead of trying to go upside down one one more time or trying to put an extra 180 on things. And we're, we're really scraping the surface. I mean, Skies are starting to do a few more alley-oops and whatnot. Like, for example, as you kind of related a frontside double cock to doing a switch backside air, like for me, I think about a super scary trick in the pipe and it's frontside alley-oops. You can learn them and get very good at them, but it takes time. Like you have to really like, respect it and i think that's the best way to kind of put switch riding 
It's like you can't, you can be the best guy in the world and you can be this just absolute gifted individual at snowboarding, but drop in the half pipe and ride switch backside, that's a reality check and you really have to respect it. And that's what I do every day. I don't go up going, I've done this a thousand times. I know how to do it. I go up there going, all right, I'm going to go through the motions and, and learn switch backside again because we just, uh, we grow up. And we only ride backside, frontside, backside, frontside, cab, backside, frontside, cab. You never, you don't learn switch backside, just like no one does it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to venture into this world and I'm going to do it as best that I can. And, um, that's going to be my way of, uh, evolution for, for half pipe snowboarding. And I will, I'll stay on that path for sure. Cause there's always hard stuff to do switch. Uh, the one thing I was listening to you talk about how you have to respect the half pipe, that thing is so goddamn dangerous, you know, but it reminded me of like the surfers when they're talking about like going and surfing big waves, like, man, you got to respect the, the wave, <laughs> you got to respect the pipe when you drop in, like you got, you do though, right? Like, it's like the thing will fuck you up. Yeah. It's pretty scary. I mean, if you think about it, well, it's like a three story building from the top to the bottom your deck, you've fallen down your head we've all done it um yeah so you do you gotta nothing is i take nothing for granted in life for a start i don't take riding half pipe for granted because it is dangerous you know we've seen you know some pretty sad accidents over the past years and um you really it is serious and i think that is as well is why i'm so on myself about how i'm treating myself away from the half pipe as well because it's you know it is as much a mentality as it is just going up there and doing stuff and there's a lot of other things that associate to being great at whatever your chosen discipline is so how many people are up there in the pipe today not that many actually it's crazy that ever since it went 22 yeah people just kind of backed away because when i was young in the small pipes everybody would be there That's hiking. That's a good point. Yeah. Do you think and, the 22 killed Yeah, Go it's ahead. crazy to me because, yeah, when I was young, everyone, no matter what you, every aspect, no matter what you focused on in snowboarding, you would go to the half pipe. And when it was freshly cut, everybody was there. Everybody was hiking, and now you go there. One, you don't really even see people hiking mm. as much. Yep. And uh, two, this just went from 100 people to 5 or 10 people because it's yeah. so big and so crazy. It is. It's a really good point because it is. I it is more scary than it is fun when you're doing stuff that is you know pretty intense. Whereas when you when I grew up, you know, riding twelve foot half pipes and stuff, it's a little bit more of an environment. There's less you know um, mud, like there's less I guess risk, uh, which it creates a better environment, which then creates you know more people wanting to be a part of it. Because as soon as I feel like when there's that factor of fear in anything which is the 22 foot half pipe which is scary um it kind of just makes people go yeah i don't want to i don't want to do that and it's a shame because i would prefer if there were more people in it and that's one of my goals it's one of my whys is like i i want people to want to go and ride the half pipe and sometimes watching us do what we do is just really not that fun really like i think 
people are kind of like, oh, I don't want to do that. Whereas you, you, you watch someone ride a mini pipe and they're doing airs and whatnot. It looks fun. And so they're going huge in this little pipe, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, if we want to just get rid of 22s and go back to little hand-shaped pipes, by all means, I'm still going to love it just as much and I'll I'll be in there for sure. But um, yeah, it's a good point. You know what they should do? I'm thinking about this. Coming from the motocross, you know, a little bit. I got a foot in there. And what they have when you go to dirt bike races is they have, like, they have, like, the big serious, you know, maybe the Sunday main event of, like, people that are, are there to race, right? And then, you know, all throughout the weekend, they have your, you know, br- run, run what you brung, it's called. And you can bring, like, an old 1975 dirt bike and race it around the track, and it's, like, only 10 laps or something. And it's this fun kind of thing and and like it would almost be sick where if you have these half pipe events you have the 22 foot that's the marquee event right you everybody's there to see it but then also you have the 12 foot mini pipe invitational with the people mm. that are cuz like to me you know going if you could do back to back sevens in the pipe you're the man and it was like fun and yeah. you only had to go 5 feet out and you're like oh I, let's get down but then you get into that super pipe and it, it's like you said it's a turn off cuz you're Really got to have some vinegar pump in to get comfortable in that thing. <laughs> yeah. And so like, it's every almost, day, yeah. that never changes. Yeah, never, I'm, that's another <laughs> thing. Good, good point to make. But yeah, like, how do you? Is I don't, I don't necessarily think that these like, what are they called? Like, what do you think about these modified pipe events? Because I don't think that that's really doing it for me either. Yeah, modified pipe is. Um, I I enjoy them because I think the idea of that is. I would say, again, I, I would say this is more relevant to slope style where someone that's never snowboarded in their life show up and they win events because they're spending all summer on a dry slope, but they don't actually know how to, any board control or anything like that. So I can see why, like you watch, you watch slope events and pretty much the top 10 guys, like the guys that are actual snowboarders can ride the transition. The rest are like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen? You just don't know. It makes it, <laughs> it makes it exciting. Good point, yeah. And I enjoy watching it and I'm not going to lie. It's like when they bring in the transition back, I'm like, I would love to ride slope again. And truth is, I, I can't ride rails. <laughs> <laughs> rails scare me more than anything like i just which i don't know I, I just i'm terrible at rails uh i think my rail line at the sochi olympics was like 50 50 50 50 50 50 front one out and then i had a half decent <laughs> jump line <laughs> but uh, i've never ventured much down that but um i think it's for for slope style it's it's um it's really good to see because you get to see who can really snowboard as well in the half pipe like there's the the modified pipes are, are are really good. I think they're still trying to figure out like how how they work and you know, how it's scored and whatever else. But I think it is a healthy direction just to create that environment where you can be push the limits as well as be creative. And I think that's the yeah the whole idea of it. And I've enjoyed it because you know we've had like. For example, US Open, we had like a tombstone, so you could hand plant that, mm-hmm. and then you could do something and exit out of the mini pipe, and then you go in and do three of your best tricks in the super pipe. Um, it's really good. I think I think they're still like fine tuning it. I think there's still a lot of elements that probably need need looking into, but I think in in terms of the creativity and then involvement, which is what we all need, because I think. 
snowboarding, I don't know, this might be my perception, but kind of like what you were saying, Eastone, is we're lacking a little bit of participation, which is also led to, I guess, maybe more so the money in snowboarding and sponsorships. I mean, that tra- there's a lot of factors as to why that's changed, but it might be also why people aren't doing it as much. I don't think it's stopping people from going up on the mountain and going riding. I think everyone still loves it, but we do need more people competing and if the modified pipes and the modified slope style courses are going to do that i think that's really healthy because the more people we have involved obviously the more coverage the more exposure and i think that's something that we we need at the moment and so yeah i think it's important but i why, why don't you like it the modified pipe or like have haven't really uh, when i watch the event all right the thing that's cool about watching like for me i'm a snowboarder but i'm so disconnected from the ability of being able to do a fucking run like you guys do in the half pipe. Like it's like me watching the New England Patriots. Like I just, I have my, you know, especially like I really get excited about slope style. I watch that. I like get the popcorn out. I'm like, just, you know, it's a whole experience as a fan for me. So I'm coming at it from like a fan perspective, you know, but I, when I look at like the early, you know, you got a 12 foot transition and somebody's trying to like, you know, do a front invert and then do their little thing. And then, it's like just into the just hog show on the in the super yeah. pipe. So it's like it's a little bit too. It's like mini, it's like mini pipe shit, and then it doesn't. It, to me, it doesn't blend quite right. So I I don't know what the solution is. I'm just kind of being a hater, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the side jump is sick. I do like the quarter pipe jump into the half pipe. Yeah. But maybe like that little mini transition just seemed like it was just kind of like throwing. Like people would fall on the mini transition and then do like a fourteen forty in the pipe, and you're like. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a super good point. Um, and I think these courses are really being developed because a lot of us um, are seeing it kind of going in a direction that maybe we don't want it to see. Mm-hmm. I think that's more relevant to um, slope style right now. Like, I, I, I've straight up, when I watched Big Air at X Games this year, I, like, almost didn't enjoy it. Like, it's just, like, not – it's, like, scary. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about everyone doing crazy stuff, but they're kind of getting to the point now where like, you know, you're doing an 1800 or you're doing a backside, whatever. And it's like, you're on your edge of the seat, not because you're excited to watch, but because you're gen, I like, I'm genuinely terrified because I'm like, this is scary to watch. And then contrary to that is I watch the women's slow. I watch the women's big air. Oh, hands down the best women's event i've ever seen in my life like it was the coolest thing to see you know jamie just doing flawless frontside tens effort- so slow eff- effortless yeah. and a kokomo i think she was doing backside 12s and like they progress and i saw and I, we watch it and i was like i'm usually like on the edge of my seat watching the guys but i that's how i was watching the girls this year i don't know what the evolution is of big air and slope style and whatnot how they're going to change that i think the modified stuff is a good direction for the half pipe i'm not sure i think there could be there could be like i would lo- i always hit jumps like i would love there to be a jump in a modified half pipe course like do it ma- maybe do like a do like a channel gap right that has two jumps and then then you drop into the half pipe i don't know or maybe there's like in the half pipe the 22 there's you know and not like a tombstone in there or like someone 
that obviously talks about this a lot is Danny, and he's been like such a pioneer for this because, I mean, he obviously oozes style, as we all know, but he's been such an advocate to make sure it's going in a healthy direction that um, I think it's uh, not personally, but I think it's all of our responsibility to make sure that that keeps happening because if he's, you know, going to phase out of competitions and things, I think it's very important for all of us to still be pretty vocal about it. And I liked it. I enjoyed it. But I think, as you're saying, from, from a from a spectator and, like, watching it, it probably definitely does need some work because the way I always view it, view events is, like, my friends back at home or people who know nothing about snowboarding, like that they're the people that are going to bring what we need most, which Good is point. the coverage and, you know, being able to leverage them is how we end up bringing more uh, infrastructure and all those kind of things into the sport. So sometimes when I, when I look at events and how they change, you know, scoring and whatever else, I'm like, you guys are just making this so hard for people to follow mm-hmm. and no one will ever understand it. Therefore, no one will ever care to watch it. So, like, make it straightforward. Don't try and make it so complicated because we need those people to watch. Totally, totally. Yeah, good example. That's the jam format where it's, like, it's still just runs, but you don't know what the fuck's going on, you know? Yeah, for I, sure. I remember an event, uh, Red Bull Double Pipe at Snowmass or something. Yeah. Did you do well in that? I got um, I got third. I, think. I, I was randomly there actually. Oh, you and were. I, and uh, it you was, were that guy going like twenty foot out, right? <laughs> Definitely not <laughs> switch <laughs> method twenty foot. So yeah, this crimping. guy going switch backside double overhead. That was absolutely me. But um, dude, it was a jump into two half pipes. It was a cool event. Uh, I remember watching it, thinking it was cool. So yeah, that was cool, and that was also like pretty scary as well. The transfers are deadly. Deadly. Yeah. I broke my wrist the first year we did it. I went tried to well, I went over the twenty two transfer, and decked and bounced into the bottom. But that was a good event because. Um, they started with a jump, which I loved, mm-hmm. and then you went into the, the double pipe. And you could still do gnarly stuff, but what was rewarded more was, like, how you used it. So, mm-hmm. like, doing, let's say you do, like, a six-foot air on the 22, over the 22 spine to the other side. That, like, was terrifying. Mm-hmm. But if you do more of that stuff, like, it could progress to be quite cool. Mm-hmm. And I really liked watching guys. Like, I mean, for example, the year I got third, Starley, he came and mm-hmm. he wasn't doing snowboard um, half pipe events at the time, but he ended up getting second because he was like, he's a great snowboarder. He knows how to ride transition. We weren't going in trying to throw our head backwards four times or anything like that. It was like, it was a real snowboarders event of who has good board control, who can ride this course really well, but also implement some good tricks. So that was a cool one. I got a Patreon question for you and three different people asked this. So uh, I'll ask it on behalf of all of them, from Will, Tommy, as well as uh, Joshua. How come guys like yourself and others on your level don't have board sponsors? Is it uh, you're not really worried about it because you have these big sponsors like Red Bull? And It's a really good question. I think it's uh, like for me personally, I was going through a lot of snowboards. Like I was – going through five a week at one point um and i'm definitely a bit taller and i'm kind of heavy so i was just breaking them and i was going through them a lot and um 
I I just kind of was like, look, I need to find something that's going to be durable. It's going to last me more than a day. And I ended up, um, I ended up working with these guys in Switzerland who I still work with now, and they just custom make my snowboards, um, basically accordingly to how I like it and and whatnot. And then they they don't break often. They break, but not very often, which is nice for me. But um, and then the other side is I think it's not that. You know, I'm not like, oh, I don't want a board sponsor. It's just, it's it's not like my mentality. But I think it's, um, if someone came to me tomorrow and said, hey, you know, we'd love to talk to you about doing a, a board sponsorship, I'd be like, yeah, let's let's talk about it. But I think for me personally, mine's more like, let's talk about it. And then how do we make something th- for me that's going to work for me? Because I think I want to make sure that I'm writing something that I can rely on especially going faster and doing tricks and, and whatnot in the half pipe. That's my angle. Like that's, that's kind of why I don't have a, have a board sponsor for other people. I'm not sure. Well, that uh, makes sense. You don't want a brand doesn't want you breaking one every day. They yeah. have to make you a custom board. That's, I didn't know you. That goes to show how gnarly that 22 foot pipe is, man. Yeah, for sure. I was just break. I was just breaking them a lot. And, um, the people want to know, I, I, uh, got asked, who like specifically makes your boards? If you can talk about that. Who specifically? Uh, the guys they're called Channel Nine in Switzerland. Um, Heard of they, them? Yeah, they, they have just a tiny little factory, and um, they churn out some boards, and they're really cool. They love listening to feedback, and you get exactly what you want, which is which is really awesome. As I said, if I was if I had that opportunity with anyone else, um, you know, I'm always open to to talking about it. But I think you know they're just so. They want to make sure that they give me exactly like what I'm looking for. I got a chance to flex your board today, man, and it's like stiff. These half pipe guys, they're like really stiff as a two by four. These things. In my board, like the board I ride in the half pipe, I would just never ride it like on the mountain. It's just honestly super unenjoyable. Like I've built that. <laughs> <laughs> I've built that thing like two rider twenty two foot half pipe. If I'm going out riding, you know, power or going burn around with friends or family i'm like i don't go near it's a it's a turbo Mm -hmm. like the board like it's got it's so stiff like in the transition it just has so much like pop and and talk you could say i guess um coming out of it which is great but like when i i've tried to go and ride it in pal and i'm just like ragdolling because (laughs) the thing is so camber it just doesn't want to go this way at all like unless you really put force into it which you do in the half pipe just build up and just snap <laughs> and explode the way james ex- explained, yeah, so explained to us uh, one thing i thought find kind of fascinating is like talking about james he he briefly one of the things he said was like you know we take these guys we make sure they're um what did, how did i don't remember his verbiage but he said you know not distracted by certain things or uh i find that in this day and age with everything going on if you're trying to achieve something, distraction is a huge thing to battle with. Now, do you feel like you're doing well in that battle and what type of things do you do to kind of combat distraction? Yeah, I don't really have much distraction. I kind of eliminate that factor altogether. Uh, And I think it's probably just, I'm always uh, just doing, again, it kind of goes back to what we were saying before. I'm I'm just going through my days the way that makes me happy and, and snowboarding the way that I want to snowboard. and um, But, you know, snowboarding, I think what's important as well, snowboarding is a part of my life. 
but I have a lot of other things that I do as well. And and this is more on a competition side because you can get so wound up about, you know, the next competition and the expectation you have on yourself and whatever else. It's in, I think at, at, on that level, it's very important to be like, have other interests. Like you got to do something else. Like for you, you love motocross. You know, for me, I love, you know, um, I like, I love collecting memorabilia. I love real estate, like just random stuff like that. Like you got to, for me, I've always, my distractions have been healthy distractions. They're not something that's going to deter me away from obviously what the end goal is. But, um, and also being very honest with, with yourself as well. Like I've always asked myself questions about how I'm feeling and, um, is this something I want to do? Is it, uh, I, I, I'm more so on the side of like, I would probably benefit from a few more distractions because <laughs> I'm so like got my blinders on all the time. And I got that a little bit like my fa- my mum and dad have a crazy work ethic and I kind of got that from them. Mm-hmm. And when we talked about my transition to like really want to do something in snowboarding, I got that from them. Like I was like, all right, I've set my mind on it now and I'm going to go for it. But yeah, I mean, I don't really have, I have great distractions in my life. I've got a great girlfriend. I've got amazing family around me. I have a few hobbies here and there. As I said, love real estate. I love thinking that I know something about the stock market, but I know jack shit. Keeps me occupied. <laughs> Heard you play the banjo, too? I do. Oof. I do play the banjo. I would say uh, play is an exaggeration. I would say I'm a try, but I try uh, hard. Our editor (laughs) is sick with the banjo. He is? Yeah, Yeah, that's that's Chinatown Paul. We're going to give him an air horn. Air horns. But the cool thing with the banjo is like if you pick up a guitar, you just suck at the guitar. When you pick up a banjo and you pick a few notes and whatnot, it's like, wow, it actually sounds pretty cool. Um, And that's where I'm at. I never played it. What type of memorabilia are you collecting over there? Uh, so the memorabilia thing has been something a little bit more recent. Uh, I've done it a lot. The past few years, I've had like a few of the like football teams in Australia give me some really awesome signed jerseys. And so I actually have a few. Uh, one, one Peace Park, and Burton have their um, snurfs. And one Peace Park, I had this snurf, and I was like, well, you know, I'm probably won't ride it anytime soon and we were finishing and um i think it was in 2017 i had like all i mean danny was there sebi was there um Mikkel bang was there like all these obviously really sick snowboarders uh and i was like i'm gonna get everyone to sign my my snurf so i had a, everyone sign my snurf and i have it up in my house in australia it's got Peace Park 2017 on it. Um, is it in the pool? The yeah, pool it's got to be in the pool room. It's huh? in the pool room, <laughs> absolutely. But that one, that was, honestly, that was probably one of my first pieces. Um, ben Ferguson, actually, I had him sign one of his boards that he snapped in half in New Zealand. Uh, I had him sign that, and he, he gave that to me. So I've got, like, a bunch of stuff. More recently, uh, I've definitely made a few more on the investment level as i like to think of it when i'm putting my credit card down i hope i see them grow as investments but i got recently a kobe bryant number eight which was his rookie year um rest in peace legend but uh yeah he 
I got his number eight jersey for Lakers, which was signed by him. Uh, and then one that's pretty close to you there, Granny, is uh, Tom Brady. Let's go. Let's go. Is that a super air horn, maybe? <laughs> and and you know TV what? twelve. You might appreciate. I was actually looking at the Buccaneers helmet. This was before the Super Bowl too, so I was like, you know, if they win the Super Bowl, I feel like if I buy this helmet, it might go up. But uh, I was like, you know what? He has too much history with the pa- with the Patriots. So I got the Patriots jersey, a white jersey, the one that he won all his Super Bowls in with the Patriots. So I got that. Um, and then I got a just recently I got a Tiger Woods signed President's Cup flag, uh, number two of one hundred. So I'm definitely the your pool, pool room. room. Yeah, the pool room <laughs> stack good, dude. Stacking up. Now There's you got a, few, a cooler to put in there too, a bomb hole. Cooler. Yeah, that's it. Got the bomb hole. <laughs> put cooler. a bomb hole right next to the TB12 for me, if you don't mind. That would be ideal. I, I will. I'm gonna do that just for you. How do you feel about Tom Brady? Do you have like a love hate for him now since he moved to Tampa Bay or? There was a minute where I was torn, but it's like, dude, I, I love I love TB12, man. So, you know, if you if you were to um, try to sign on to my Wi-Fi at my house, uh, my Wi-Fi is TB or Tom Brady Goat. It's Tom Brady Goat. And the term goat is thrown around very loosely. but Too loosely it, these com- days. When it comes to football, TB12 just statistically alone is the goat. Yep. Now, while we're on the subject of hot takes, uh, let's get into some hot takes and... We like to talk about uh, MJ of snowboarding. Who do you got? MJ of snowboarding. And that's uh, Michael Jordan. Yes. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar. Or you know Kobe, so you know basketball. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, He's Australian. Sometimes I'm not Michael sure. Jordan jersey, actually, I want to get one one day. And sorry, I might be going off topic here, but I didn't realize I'm getting more into the collecting memorabilia. The agents make the cost of the memorabilia. So, like, say, for example, um, you know, I buy, I bought the, the Tom Brady jersey and he's won a Super Bowl again just now. In theory, you would say, oh, shit, my, my, my investment just went up. But it didn't. It's the agent that makes the prices for the memorabilia. So unless he says it's worth this much now, all of it's the same price. Gretzky, uh, MJ and a few of the other guys all have the same manager, and they all have the highest... All of their stuff is like... Can the, you just give us a ballpark of what buying a Jordan jersey might look like? Because I have no fucking clue. Yeah. Okay, Jordan jersey, uh, 23, Chicago, um, in the year of 96 is about 17500 Damn. Yeah. That's some biscuits. Cha-ching, that is some biscuits. That's but, one he's worn? Not one. That would be way more than... Yes, one is so, one. So they just the the players just run through. They sign hella jerseys and give them to the agent. Is yeah, that how it works. So well, it's how they sign then? Yeah. So, but how it works is like um, they do signings and they'll do like five hundred pieces of whatever it is, or one hundred pieces or whatever it is, and they they sign them all. And then all these guys, all the enthusiasts, they buy them for at the like kind of cost price, I guess. Like they would make a car. They obviously get the margin after it. Um, so they buy them and then they just start collecting them and they have one of 200 or whatever. Wow. And the agents make the price. I was I was shocked. I was kind of yeah, like sad too because I was like, damn it. Like my idea of, you know, when you buy a house and you're like, this is going to be worth a lot. In the real decade. estate market. Yeah. I had the same mentality, but it's not. It's the managers. 
That's crazy. Uh, well, that's actually perfect because we have some sports memorabilia. We're going to have some Scotty James signed prints, mm-hmm. uh, and the agent doesn't set the price we do, and it's the same every week. It's $25. <laughs> so um, Perfect. <laughs> I would have I said 10 <laughs> But uh, going back, who you got for MJ snowboarding? Who's like, it's, it's so hard because there's so many, there's so many guys that have done so many things really well. Guys that have like portrayed snowboarding in the best light possible. Other people that have done it in another way, but they're still very iconic. Um, and they're all iconic in their own way. I, it's a very, it's a very boring answer, but I actually don't have an MJ of snowboarding. I'm honest. Like there's I, no I, wrong answer. I think I, I is that there's okay. There would I would almost say that's the wrong answer. Yeah, that's the wrong answer. That's the only <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> Who and do we, you think is We've MJ heard Mike Snow. Rav in here. We've heard Sean White. We've heard JP Walker. Uh I, for me personally, the way I break it down is like you know, it's it's all you know, there's a lot of different ways to dissect it. It's it's oh. sub- it's subjective. Dog in the booth. Hey oh. Phil. Phil, go on. Out, buddy. So my dog just came in. He uh, somehow opened the door. Yeah, that's some new shit, and it's a code. code shout out to he learned the code. <laughs> shout out to Phil the dog. <laughs> Phil has so, cracked the code. So going back to the MJ thing, like I look at when I was a kid and I was uh, snowboarding, like the who who was the, like larger than life that had that big impact that made me want to go snowboarding. And for me, it was JP Walker because I would watch him in the videos, and he just was iconic, and he was like kind of. From the stuff I was into, he was the guy. You know, a lot of people say Turier. For me, it's Turier. Some people look at it statistically, but the way that MJ, like, impacted basketball, the effect that that had in my life in snowboarding, was it was it was JP. Okay. So, uh, in that context, does that give you anything? It does. Um, what, why Terrier for you, Eastern? When I'm just curious kid, for, your, man, for your MJ. That scene. guy just did everything. When he came on the scene, it was... He was winning contests, tearing up the pipe, putting out movies. And then you look at the longevity. Mm. For me, he's the one. And we, we get that a lot. I would say him and Sean are probably the most mm. most called out. For sure. Someone I think of right now off the top of my head who I always admired was actually Travis Rice. That's another one we That's get often, answer. actually. Yeah, he's... um. I feel like he was just so much on his own journey of, and he's just, and like he, and he just, I don't know, he, I just really appreciate what he did because he did like obviously a lot of that, you know, still does a lot of the backcountry stuff, but he just did it like, I mean, as well, the movies were incredible too. And I mean, he's one of those guys that kind of everyone knows too. If you talk about snowboarding, everyone knows who Travis Rice is. Um, he's won X Games too. Yeah, he so does. He's kind of done it all. And yeah. he's still doing it. And he's still doing it, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, there's a few. Yeah. I would say it's hard. Honestly, it's hard for me to pick one because I love, I would pick certain elements of probably four people that yeah. are like your MJ. And then, and they all do it like differently. So, and there's a few people on their way to being on that level. So, like people like Mark and whatnot. Yeah, but, true. Huh? Um. So, yeah. Let's talk about the Icon Season Pass. They are launching their new season passes for the 21-22 season. Own the season, own the stories, own the stoke. Now, there are more than 40 unique Icon Pass destinations. One of my favorites being Brighton Resort. One of my favorites also, Snowbird. With the exclusive spring savings, 
including special pricing for the 2021 pass holder renewals, savings on passes for kids, and a new payment plan for how much, buds? $0 down and 0% APR. Right now, take advantage of limited springtime pricing, including the Icon Pass. For how much, buds? $999 is the adult price. That unlocks the most days, the most mountains, and, super important, no blackout dates. They also have the Icon Base Pass. For how much, buds? $729 for adults. That opens up a season of adventure with limited blackout dates. And lastly, they have the Icon Pass 4-day. How much is that, buds? The adult price is only $399. That allows you to kickstart your ride. Also, you get credits in the event of a COVID-19 closure with the option to defer the value of an unused past. No questions asked. Every moment spent in the mountains is a new opportunity for discovery and connection because as the mountains connect us, these unique communities are what hold us together. Here at the Bomb Hole, we deeply care about communities, huh, buds? Communities all we got. Own the season, own the stories, own the stoke. Discover pass options and claim your moments in the mountains at iconpass.com. All right, let's continue some hot takes here. Um, one thing, you know, I'll preface this with the fact that I think that steroids should be mandatory <laughs> in competitive sports. What are your thoughts? I don't, I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't think you'd be able to really like. Uh, I mean, when I think of steroids, I think about that guy that's walking into Gold's gym that's like three hundred kilo. Of Me muscle. too. Me that's, too. That's what we all think about. <laughs> yeah. <in the> <laughs> uh, so I don't think that would the, the agility of someone like that snowboarding. I just don't think it's gonna work. Um, and my personal belief is keep it el natural, you know, kill it with what you got, what you've been given. So I can see, I can, I, I see, I, I mean, from what I understand, obviously it builds a lot of muscle, but I think from past, like athletes use it as like a recovery thing too. So I don't know Have you ever fallen and wish you could have just had a bit of steroids to get back up and keep filming your video part uh yes yeah i think so <laughs> there you go yeah. see there's probably perks yeah do they do that in, i just like, think in sports like i think in conventional stuff? sport i think like honestly like if a shot every single person that's like trying to make it in like american football as like a teen high school it's very it's a lot more common. common than you'd think it's it's like almost necessary and and uh, you know obviously we're joking about steroids but i i just think the image of all the competitive snowboarders <laughs> roided up looking huge and just like fighting at the top of the pipe it you would know make it for, would it make would for some good tv <laughs> it would and it would definitely uh emphasize the whole pipe jock thing because what better thing to add to being a pipe jock than taking steroids? Because you already go to the gym and we ride the half pipe too much, then let's put some steroids in there. And then what's 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 more than being a pipe jock? I'm, I don't really know. What's, how can we escalate that name a little bit more? Roids. There it is. Roids. Roids. Mandatory roids. Roid rage. <laughs> Roid rage. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, it's more of a hot take. Uh, the beaver slap. You know, when you're on the snowboard and you whack all the snow off. What do you th- What are your thoughts about hitting a fat beaver slap <laughs> in the lift line? Um, I used to I used to do it a lot. I think when I was younger, because I thought it was what you're supposed to do. And now I'm just like unnecessary. Kind of Please a way to yeah. You kind of uh, establish alpha male dominance in the lift line with the beaver slap. <laughs> <laughs> kind of let them know let them know who's fucking king of the castle. There. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like 
maybe it's like a well, you can't do that with your skis. That's a good point. Watch you, this. You know what they can do? Though? They can point, and then they can also do the they clink them together yeah, to clap for their them. buddy. Yeah. yeah, the ski clink. That's a the, the ski clink. Yeah, it's always a funny one. Like watching skiers claim. Like they always have funny claims with their poles. Yeah, with the poles and like I don't know. What is your? Th- I, I got a question. What is your? Uh, um, both of you, claiming. Like if you like get to the bottom, you like. Well, what our take on claiming? Yeah. What is it? If it was a sick run, it seems like it's you almost have to do it. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean for the judges to be like, <laughs> "Yep, he was stoked." Yeah, competitive. I I I think you got to go claim. Yeah. What if you <laughs> you got to go claim? Because otherwise, the judge might has be there, like, has "He could have done better." Has there been a moment where you've like come out of some crazy street? environment rail where where you're riding away (laughs) and you wish that you could have just been like i've claimed he's claimed (laughs) i'm street claimed i can officially say street claiming claiming goes down yeah street claim there was a a battle i think specifically a line in quebec city where i did like a reaver and then a switchback rodeo off this thing and i couldn't land it my legs were getting the shit kicked out of me it was a follow cam so the hiker so the filmer ozzy henning shout out I uh, had to hike with me every single time. Anyway, and uh, I landed it, and I remember if you hear in the clip, I was like, fuck yeah! Like, it's so <laughs> embarrassing, but yeah, it's not, it is not cool to claim in the streets, though. That's a fact. It's funny what you said before, you started about, like, <laughs> you should claim so the judges <laughs> are like, did he just do something, like, <laughs> yeah, amazing? They, yeah, just so so my, up. Yeah, my mom... Um, when I was younger and I was like not doing very well, it was kind of through that period where I was trying to qualify for the Olympics and my mum would come and like, um, what, like come with me and I didn't have a coach sometimes. So she was like there kind of coaching me and she, and I would never claim and mum was like, you need to claim Scott. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you, you kind of right away like you don't care about what's just happened. I watch these other guys and they claim and they get way better scores than you. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I just started claiming like I've just, you know. Started doing it. Yeah, I just started doing it and I claimed really hard. And it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it Maybe didn't they work could tell all. you were faking, though. It, yeah, that's true. Maybe they can I was see like, these judges half, know, man. They, they know. know. Yeah. They know when you're truly hyped. But that was my mom you know, coaching me. She's like, you need to really give it a good claim at the end. But um, I, know, I claim. Sean White gets that 100, throws his board. Yeah. I've you, seen some excessive claims. Yeah. That didn't sure. look excessive, though. He looked pretty stoked. One one was uh, Yuri Podlajikov, uh, X Games in France. Was he faking it? No, he was real. Was real. I, 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 actually, the Swiss guys have the best claims in the world. You can quote me on that to this day. Uh, but Yuri finished his run. Don't know what he was thinking. Threw his board. There was like 5,000 people at the bottom of the pipe. Scalp somebody. Threw his <laughs> snowboard, like threw it probably six feet in the air without any, you know, idea of where it's headed. And I don't even know what happened, but it definitely smoked someone in the head. And, yeah, if you're and not razor sharps too. Yeah. Razor, razor sharp, razor razor sharp edges. edges. Anyway, I don't know what happened, but like uh, throwing a fucking sword. Have yeah. you ever picked up one of those half pipe boards? These guys are razor fucking sharp. <laughs> it's like a battle axe. Dude, if you try to board slide a rail on one of these hogs, you're going down. Fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a suicide mission if you're on one of these things. This is true. It is very. It's probably why I'm so scared of rails. 
I'm terrified of him. No, you need to just I try try out Chris's board. Yeah, I do a little, a little detune, slight, just ever so slight detune, just a little shaky detune. You guys, uh, the the edges. It's important to keep those things uh, like really smooth too. People don't realize that. Like in order for to have a fast board, like I need to wax numbers. You got to make sure your edges have yeah, numbers, right? That's true. That's very true. Ryan uh, McDermott, he's, he gets an air horn. Yeah, he gets a big air horn. I give him like six air horns. He works on your boards too. Yeah, he does my boards. He's just a legend. Um, and yeah, I mean, he the, the great the greatest thing about that is, you know, I kind of. Always understood what you know a snowboard was. Obviously, like some technical parts, but when I listen to Ryan talk about a snowboard, I'm like still mind blown. Really, like he just knows materials back to front and why you know. Like for example, I the boards I get made, I had a um, I have like a matte top sh- like a matte um, top sheet on my board. And it gets snow stuck on all the time. And I'm like, it's kind of pissing me off. Like, I'm always having to scrape the snow off my board. And I went to Ryan. I'm like, I think I'm going to get, like, you know, like a shiny top on, on, on the top of my board. And he's like, yeah, you could do that, but it's way heavier. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, it, it's much heavier than if you have a matte finish. And I was like... Shit, I did not know that. He's I didn't know him. that either. He's weighed them, huh? I guess it's an, it's an extra maybe spray to make it shine. Huh? Yeah, I'm not. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think maybe the material is just a little bit. I, I mean, we're talking about like maybe like not much, but, but it like matters, it's the maybe. detail, and he yeah. looks at it, and as well, you know, like the way he breaks down snowboards is everyone should know that. I think when you ride it, and it makes you have such an appreciation for the art. It's really cool. That is cool. Now, do you uh, get kind of sappy setting up a board where you kind of put the love into it and like kind of get it put a lot of time and I guess you have guys that tune your board. Huh? Uh, yeah, I still think it's important. Like honestly, yeah, I I'm not a great tuner, but I I would wax my board like some of my other boards that I aren't really using in the half pipe. But I'm not like I don't get all particular about like uh, you know I put my stickers on my board and my bindings on it and I'm off kind of thing but do you rock uh what's your setup as far as uh width stance forward lean I'm 12 and 12 I am I don't know my stance how wide it is I think it's about 23 and a half something like that and then my nose and tail I can't remember off the top of my head but uh yeah who waxes your board when you're up here like Par City messing around I don't you don't? No. Damn. I just ride it as is. I, I like to ride without wax sometimes, honestly. makes me, like, use my... Try my, harder? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> try harder. But kind of use, like, old fundamental techniques I've learned growing up as a kid, too. Like, you don't wax your board every day when you're younger. You probably have stones and rocks in it, and you'd go up and still ride. didn't matter. And I try and carry that mentality a little bit. Like, for sure, during events and whatnot, I'm have my boards looked after, but like, I'm not, you know, trying to wax my board. Like I've, I've been here for two weeks now and I haven't waxed my board once. Oh, tell you what, I waxed my board before I went up today. I'm more, <laughs> more prepared than him. Yeah, you are. Go, I might so, give you mine. So go you on. knew you were going to be shredded you know, with you, the big dog though. Dude. Well, yeah, I, I said, you had to show up. I had to be like, yo, I got to, this is going to make me go two feet higher in the pipe. I'm waxing. <laughs> I waxed it right where you're sitting right there. But, um, going back, I want, I wonder like personally getting into, 
some of this stuff. Uh, you know, when you guys, there's a bunch of competitors there, and you're not necessarily there to be friends. Now, like, what's the vibe between some of, just let's be real. Let's get into some shit. Like, what's the vibe between the other guys at the pipe? Are you guys like, hey, man, like, how's your weekend? Like, we're buds? Or are you kind of like, hey, man, like, I'm Yeah, is it small talk or are you vibing each other? What's the vibe up there? Uh, throwing myself in the deep end, people are going to be like, this guy's such a dick. Um, no. <laughs> just uh, be you, man. No, I, um, Let them know. It's different now, and I kind of miss how it was because, like, I I, I talk about these guys a bit because, you know, like, we talk about, like, the Friends crew, for example. They were, like, so influential of going up, competing, doing well, and having a really good time, and they always did. There was always, like, something happening up the top. It's always a really good energy. Uh, Someone was making a joke. Everyone was, like, really getting around each other, and I always loved watching that into that camaraderie now it's like gone it's like not like that at all damn it's very serious uh and sometimes i feel a little bit like am am i responsible for that i don't know like maybe i'm maybe like for me when i would watch those guys do that i did that because i was like that's the right thing to do but maybe because i'm being so like to me, I feel like I'm having a great time. Like I'm joking amongst myself and and the and and people that are around me. But like, yeah, I'm not going up to guys and cracking a joke and you know asking how their weekend and tell them about my favorite things, movies I watch and whatnot. Uh, so I'm thinking like maybe the way I react, the way I act, is somewhat responsible of that energy now. Because I am, I'm like pretty intense in the moment in the half pipe, and yeah, I kind of just want to kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real shit. I well love said. It. Uh, I'm giving you an air horn for that. Yeah, uh, dude, that's some. That's what we want. Yeah, I beat around the bush for a while, but I got to the point at the end. <laughs> but um, slap some respect on that answer for actually saying some shit. I yeah, love that. No, I do. That's my mentality. Because I'm, yeah, I don't know. I'm not up there to, as you said, I'm not up there to, like, be friends. I'm like, I've got one thing, one thing on my mind, and that's what I want to do. After. What about a day like today? You're up there. Sean White's up there. Are you guys making small talk, or are you just watching each other? Uh, No, like, we have small talk and whatnot. Um, Yeah, I think, like, on practice days and whatnot, it's a little bit more relaxed. More and chill. And, and. There's definitely moments where it gets competitive, even practice practicing. But uh, yeah, I think like me personally, that's like my my intention for sure. But I, I'd, it's funny because it's like it's weird that I even beat around the bush with it because if you're competing, like that's how you should be, right? Yeah. Like, why would you want to? I get it. Like, you want to make sure that you have a relationship with people up there and whatnot, and I think that's very important. But, like, why would you want to compete without that mentality? Because what's the point of competing? 100%. And dude, look at, did you watch the Michael Jordan documentary? I did. Amazing. And he's just, like, he would make up narratives about how somebody wronged him so he could just dominate them. 
Yeah. Or somebody slighted them. And it's like, dude, he would make I, it up. Dude, yeah, you got to watch this shit. Last Dance. It's on, yeah. what's it on, HBO? I don't I remember. I think it's on HBO. Netflix. Netflix. But, but uh, Netflix? it's on Netflix, yeah. Really good. But dude, it's, dude, it's just be real. Like, yeah, you, if you're, if you're in that world where there's a lot of dollars to be made, there's TV time, it's like, there's gold medals, there's like just serious, serious things, that, you know, that are people are it's the top of the world it's the top level of competition like yeah, you got to do what you got to do to win that shit it's not like we're fucking around in the half pipe doing mind doing a crippler five feet out where i you know we're like this shit's real so i think it's cool to hear that you're you know where your head's at at the top and and then going one other question i have on this subject is like i know that you put in a lot of work in the off season and you've been kind of beating around the bush saying, hey, oh, I'm like, people think I'm this rigid guy, <laughs> but I know you're regimented. But now when you're at the top, are you like, I'm prepared, I'm confident, or are you like, I'm fucking scared. What's going on here? This is gnarly. Uh, for me, I'm, yeah, very confident in what I'm doing. Uh, I've obviously put a lot of time into what I'm doing. Um, and preparation for me is like pretty important when i have really good preparation uh you know i've i've somewhat feel like invincible in a way that word's pretty extra but it's kind of just how i feel uh and i and i think what's important is that when i when i get to have a really good preparation where i feel like i've got that one percent is i enjoy it so i'm in the moment it's very intense you have all these aspirations, you've got something you want to achieve, might be a gold medal, might be a trick or whatever it is. If you're able to be in that moment but also still relate to why you're there in the first place, that's the ticket in my opinion. Dude. So it's uh, that's something that I always like thrive for. Um, yeah. that's No, that's a great bit of information. That is the one thing of like I think that that anybody can latch on to knowing that. Um, now going back, I've been kind of trying to pry at this. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by dissecting what makes people tick and how they get to where they're at. And, you know, one thing that would be cool to talk about is if you could just take us through your daily regiment of kind of what, what a day, like an average, maybe training day looks like for you. Average, uh, training day. Um, I wake up six thirty. Pretty out much every day on the dot. Um, make a coffee uh, and then take the dog for a little walk. Uh, and I think one thing um, that's that's I do that's like kind of pretty key for me in, in my everyday is we live in a world now where everything is about like and dislike and, you know, um, there's a lot of superficial kind of bullshit that, everyone really enjoys on the social media platforms and stuff that kind of just isn't really reality. I'm honestly not a massive fan of the whole thing, but unfortunately it's just part of the game nowadays. So in the morning, naturally I find I could be making, pulling this out of my ass, but I feel like a lot of people wake up. Like, do you wake up in the morning and, or either of you wake up in the morning and like, and instinctively, kind of just go and check your Instagram. No. I keep my phone upstairs, okay. <clears throat> but you know. I, I did for a long time. I did do that. Yeah. So but, like, okay, so it's probably not relevant for you guys, but I'm more mean like my generation, right? That we've kind of grown up with social media and it's so important 
to be socially accepted on a social media level. Um, so you wake up and you check your phone and you literally roll out of bed. You haven't even opened your eyes yet and you might have opened Instagram. And before you've even asked yourself how you're feeling that day, you've judged about 16 people just by sliding through your phone and looking at what they're doing and why you think that they shouldn't be doing that or whatever it is. Or maybe you like that thing and you want to aspire to do that before you've even been like, how am I feeling today? And I feel like that is such a, I don't know, it's just, a, I guess, a key thing for me every day because we do live in a world now where it's it's you know one tap away from telling people how we feel and it didn't used to be like that. And you can grow up and, I mean, you can go around in circles on it, but that's one thing I do in the morning. I, I don't get on my phone for about an hour at least after I've woken up. And then I make a smoothie. It's a new habit of mine. Uh, make a smoothie. Then I kind of do some emails and do some work stuff. Then um, I do a lot of meditation. I meditate and that's where I'll kind of spend time thinking about what I was just elaborating on of, you know, how I'm feeling for that day. Did something happen yesterday that's affecting me today? How can I move forward to make sure that I can have the best day possible? And it's really about, yeah, I guess living in the moment. Um, and then have some breakfast. I vary between, I'm quite OCD now I'm talking about it. One day I'll have scrambled eggs on toast with hummus and avocado. The second day I'll have uh, steel cut oats. Uh, then the day after that I have scrambled eggs again, steel cut oats, scrambled eggs. Steel, and so I do that every day. So I chop between the two. And then um, before I go riding, have a banana. And then... That's it. Stop my day. After an hour goes by, it's savage judging on Instagram. Savage judging. <laughs> judging you. Judging both of you. And okay, that, I'm so, going through going, these guys are kooks. I can't believe I'm going down to do this shit. <laughs> so go, then you get into the half pipe. How, how many hours do you ride? I uh, get in the half pipe. I ride about anywhere between three to four hours. Depends. Okay. Depends, you know, the day and, um, you know, how I'm feeling and whatnot. But, yeah, about three to four hours. And then I've heard sometimes you do two-a-day workouts as well. Yeah, so I have done – so when I'm not snowboarding, I think I think why I do this as well is I've, I've, I see snowboarding as my full-time job. And if you aren't busy, this might be a little bit of the work, work ethic that was instilled in me from a young age, but if you aren't busy doing something that's going to benefit – sorry, I say you, I mean me. If I'm not – busy doing something that's going to benefit me snowboarding when I'm not snowboarding, then I'm not, I'm not taking it seriously. Like I'm not doing it to get better anymore. So I, I think being busy it's, it's people have probably said this before, but being busy is a choice. And for me, if I go home, if I go snowboarding all day, I go home, sit on the couch and do nothing. I'm like, what is that actually helping me do for the next day? And then what I'm trying to achieve in snowboarding. So we have a lot of time, a lot of spare time, I find, as snowboarders. There's weather days, four hours in a day. I mean, there's 12 hours in a day. We ride four of that. And what else, what are we doing for the rest of that time? Is it doing something proactive? Is it, you know, learning a language? Is it going to the gym? Is it whatever? That That's just like how I think. I feel like there's always something that we could be learning. Um, so that's kind of how I interpret my 
yourself away from the snowboarding world. But yeah, I mean, in, in preparation sometimes for the season, I have so much time in the day when I'm in Australia, for example, not really snowboarding. I might go surfing. Um, and yeah, I've been known to go pretty hard in the gym. <laughs> we just got to get you some roids and then we'll be all set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I uh, might not be such a scrawny, lanky little guy if I had some steroids, but. Uh, going back, I mean, I asked you earlier, like, because James had mentioned how we, we make sure these guys aren't distracted, and you're like, oh, I, I have distractions. And it's like, well, that you kind of just ex- answered your question, answered my question there by, you know, the avoid the distraction of the phone early in the morning, the meditation. And, you know, while we're on the subject of this, I've seen you at the top of the half pipe doing some, it's kind of like going through the motions. It looks like some type of meditation. Um, do you think that the mental strength, that meditation provides is a is a big part of why you've been successful yeah i think i think the mental side is i work on it every single day morning and night like i think all of us as people we are evolving some stuff happens in our lives that aren't isn't always good and sometimes great things happen and i think there's always a reason for that and it's and i'm I think, again, if we, we we spend so much time knowing other people that we don't know ourselves and we are such complex individuals and every single day snowboarding is complex. There's elements of it that is complex and I might have woken up feeling like I'm not good enough to go up there and do the things that I want to do and why is that? Did someone say something to me yesterday or... Did something happen when I was snowboarding that's now making me doubt myself? And unless you actually pay attention to it and you really think about it, then you kind of never, you never really like learn how to move forward. So I, I definitely spend a lot of time doing all that stuff. Like for example, if we talk about a topic in, in this, in Bombhole, and I wake up the next day and I'm like shit, maybe like I shouldn't have said that or, you know, what, what do I, what, what's my initial thought is I act on it and I text you and I say, Hey, I'm not sure I feel comfortable about that. Or you just address stuff that doesn't make you feel good. And I have no issue. I hadn't said anything today that I'm going to do that, but I'm just, I mean, it could be something I've said to my brother or something I said to my girlfriend. We all feel a certain way because of our actions. And if we don't stay in tune and know why we feel that way, then you never know. You're going to 100% <laughs> wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I should have said that or I should have said this. All our guests do. We always hear that's, that a little bit. Yeah. Total, 100% that's common, but that's very that's very insightful. I think everybody can relate to saying some shit and then losing sleep over it at night and being like, uh, or whatever. And, and then that, that's great, just take action and, and address it. And, and I do think it's really important to – check in with yourself and, and I love all this stuff. And, and it's like, you look at the extremes of snowboarding, right? And you have like, there's a lot of people that want to, that, that wants, there's some people that want to just get in a van, smoke a bunch of weed and slide handrails. And that's fucking dope. There's some people that want to go out on a split board, get in the back country, eat some fucking granola, point at shit, point at shit with their poles. Yep. I mean, I like doing that too. And then I love doing that. It's like, <laughs> I, I go, when I go do that stuff, I'm like, oh, see, I am core. Cool. <laughs> 
See that like cornice up there? Yeah, don't know anything about it, but I see it. It's up there. The point is definitely of great. The use, use backcountry terms. That saddle. Yes, yeah, sadly. The no, the dude. faucets of the snow. Coolar. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I just think that all directions hearing like, all right, this is what this motherfucker has to do to be on top of the podium at X Games when you see him. Another question I got, sidebar. I watch a lot of dirt bike racing and these guys have their um their post race interview dialed. I'd like to thank Dunlop, uh Michelin yeah, uh, to keep me rubber side down. Uh I'd like I got a great team of guys I got a great team of guys behind me and now uh, we're just trying to keep it rubber side down out there and uh, win races. Now do you rehearse that for the half pipe competition when you get the post race interview? Just go into the bathroom and practice it the night before. That's uh yeah, no, I don't do that. Um that would, uh, no, I, I <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that actually, because some people say to me like, God, you just sound like a hockey player when you do, and and a classic hockey player, um, I've probably done it like several times, so I didn't even notice. They always say, you know, it's like, well, no, we don't know. That's why we ask you the question. It's like, uh, well, you know, it's like this or it's like that. And it is, it's like scripted and super scripted. And I like check myself a lot because it's important obviously to have personality. You want to, everyone, I mean, there's this perfect athlete picture and none of us are perfect. We can all try and portray that image as, as well as possible. But I think, you know, it's important for people to have flair for sure. And uh, however you want to do that flair is how you roll and I respect that utmost as long as you're staying true to what you believe that flair is but uh yeah i understand what you're saying it's like watching it's like watching like football or yeah hockey or motocross or whatever it's just very vanilla yeah the answer (laughs) what they're going to talk about is like like nine times out of ten you're going to just be completely scripted bullshit but uh you know what i i got a take for you i think you could maybe pick up on if you ever watched the documentary on sean palmer i've brought this up in the booth before but you look at his interviews after he would win snowboard contests, and he literally, he'd just be like, I showed up, I went the biggest, I deserve to win. I think <laughs> I, I can see you like just taking that approach to the post. The post uh, you think I need to have run. a little bit more commitment, a yeah, bit more <laughs> swagger with my uh, post-event interviews? Yeah, you just like, Tell I, everyone what I really think of the other guys too. <laughs> I think it would be great. This guy blew it. Uh, I went the biggest. I'm definitely the best. I think you should take that. That would be a great approach. Okay, so I'll uh, I'll take that into consideration. Viewers would love it. Yeah, let's see. Let's see what others think. Though I might get grilled, but you know, it comes back to what um what we talk about. Who cares? Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Another question I have is uh, we've we've had uh, James Jackson in the booth. Mm. Now I don't know if we really what kind of. What is he saying to you at the top of the half pipe before, like, let's say X Games Finals run two, got to land? James would love that I'm about to say this, but he has a somewhat relation. He's on the similar wavelength of Mr. Miyagi. I'll say, why didn't this work? And he'll just be like, wax on, wax off. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, but somehow it makes sense. No, um, <laughs> he would. Uh, we said that in the show last <laughs> week. Yeah, he said argue. that Mr. the show. No, we did. Yeah, <laughs> I actually put that wax on, wax off clip in the show notes last night. Yeah, that's it. 
because it seems like that is what he does. Yeah, guys. he's uh no, he's an amazing. We always have this conversation where he doesn't like to be called a coach because a coach is too pigeonholed, which I totally understand and I respect. Because James has a lot more elements in what he does as a profession that helps some people like myself and other athletes reach their best. And that is his understanding and knowledge of why or how I perform the best. And that could be from any element. It could be what I ate that day or something that someone said to me has triggered me. And he, he really knows how to kind of bring it back to what the purpose is of that day and which is to either go up, have a great day snowboarding or go and win a competition. So he has a lot more elements in, in what he teaches, not just, hey, let's go up, do a frontside 1080 and try and teach me how to do a frontside 1080 um, because sometimes the frontside 1080 is hard, not because the frontside 1080 is hard. It's hard because I'm in my head about it or something's happened and he's very switched on about it. He's a very great observer. So yeah, he's a, he's, he's definitely a, a, a amazing individual in that aspect. And for me, I'm also very lucky. Like I surround myself with like-minded people that, that, kind of see my vision and 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 understand that he's one of those people and he's definitely like I trust him 100% when he tells me to do something I know that he he really thinks that I can do it and if he's like you know don't do something or whatever else like I'll do it and even if I'm questioning myself and I've and between he and I it's I've kind of he's I guess from me as an athlete who's going up and doing those tricks and stuff, he's earned my respect to want to listen to him that much just by the way he goes about himself and his business and how he wants me to succeed. So he's great. Have I blown smoke up his ass enough now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the man. If you haven't seen his episode, we recorded with James and he has a lot of great insightful stuff on snowboarding as a whole how to do tricks. And he seems like, you know, when I'm listening to you talk, almost like a life coach, not a snowboard coach. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I mean, he's got he's got the best of both worlds with James. He's a great snowboard coach. He can navigate you through some snowboard tricks and he can also navigate you some through things in life. And they're both just as port- important as the other. And if he wasn't good at it, he wouldn't be there with you. Exactly right. Let's take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, Wild Mike's Ultimate Pizza. We always break the ice with our guests by eating pizza and cheesy bites before recording. All of their products are 100% all natural, no artificial anything. No joke, the pizza bites are incredibly tasty. Chris, have you tried the jalapeno? Yeah, those shits are bomb. Those are my favorite, dog. They support us. You should support them. Follow them on Instagram, at Wild Mike's Pizza. They're always doing cool giveaways. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's get back to it, buds. Now, we have a guest question from none other than James Jackson. Here we go. Hey, Bomb Hole listeners. This is James Jackson. Just a quick question for Mr. Scotty James. Wondering if you've had any obscure injuries from the Sochi Olympics. (laughs) 
Yes, I have had an ex- obscure injury from the Sochi <laughs> Olympics. Uh, to answer that question, this was when I was uh, I was doing slope style, and it's when the backside triple cork was, uh, well, still is a big deal, big trick, I guess, that everyone does. But uh, I was doing the backside triple cork, and I was so adamant, I just was like, I want to land it. And I want to make this, you know, slope style experience really good. Anyway, long story short, I, it was really weird. We had like two days of competition because they ran the event before the opening ceremony. I don't know why they did that, but they can't like officially do that. So we competed twice. So I crashed the first kind of qualifying. So I went in and I was feeling good. I did a backside triple on the last jump. The jump was like quite big. And as I was coming down, uh, I kind of went a little too far on the landing. And I was going to, like, hunt for my feet to, like, put them down and land. But my, like, it couldn't, like, it, the, like, it would have been like this, how I missed my toe edge on the snow. Missed my toe edge. I thought I was going to catch my toe, like, like, land on my toe edge and right away. Missed it. And it was like I did the worm on the ground I did this I just like rolled like from my feet I rolled and I just like boom and I think you can understand where I where I hit straight on uh yes, These nuts. on my helmet um <laughs> and I I went down and I was in f- f- proper agony like I was like I've done something and I don't know how in detail I can get on on here. But think about getting a grape. This is what it felt like. And think about the motion of the worm. Getting a grape and getting a hammer and just smashing the top of it and it explodes. That's what it felt like. Damn. It just happened. Because it, it like, and, and it went like this. It went boom like that. And I put all my weight down in my um, family jewels. And I was down the bottom and they were doing all the TV stuff and I just had to like run away and I went with the physio, the Australian team, and I just, no shame, ran in there, just stacks down to my ankles. And I was like, just dumb hog. I was just totally hog. like, I've done something. And I had him actually look and I was like, I was convinced, <laughs> I was convinced that it was... That you popped the head of your pop- penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just call it a speed of speed, wouldn't you? Got to it. Yeah, I was convinced that that happened and... um Fortunately, that didn't, but, yeah, that was pretty terrifying. That'd be a harsh injury. That I haven't heard be a, lot of, a lot of, not a lot of dong injuries in snowboarding. No. <laughs> not common. Well, a lot of I'll butt cheeks myself, spreading, but. Well, oh, butt cheeks The butt cheeks spread is yeah. bad when oh. you're like, did I shit myself or yeah. is it blood? I've had that know. before. Yeah. Yeah, that's and a bad it was one. shit. Actually, I can confirm that in my one instance. Like on a rail, or like when you've come down on the snow. It was a uh, yeah. It was a over rotate jump landing, and like uh, yeah, just butt check going high speed jump landing, and then the cheeks spread. Mm. So anyway, uh, I ended up having uh, shit in my pants, and uh, but it's not, I will take that over a dong injury any day of the week. Yeah, it's not pleasant. I don't yeah. even know what they do for you at the <laughs> Russian hospital that you like, want yeah. to be in in the first place. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I don't even think there was a hospital in Russia. That yeah, was that, a Russia can get experience sketchy. in itself, honestly. Um, yeah. 
Well, I've been to Russia. It's definitely an experience. It is. It's pretty interesting. The food's not so bueno. What'd you do about your like eggs every I, other day and oh, still I cut oatmeal? And I hadn't quite, I hadn't quite hit that oh, okay. time in my life yet where I was pretty on a schedule. I'm pretty sure I ate some pigeon when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I had spaghetti because everything else was just not great. Not spaghetti good. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Really? Yeah, bolognese with like, but not good bolognese. It was like some crappy red tomato sauce with just spaghetti that had been sitting there all day. Harsh. All kinds yeah. of weird smells sometimes coming out of those restaurants and. <laughs> hope I'm not offending people, but sometimes you're like, damn, what's going on back One there? One thing we like to ask champions on this show, what are your thoughts on sperm retention before the big oh, contest run? Never really been a big deal for me. Well, do you, you do it or don't do it? Well, I don't care either way. Either way. Yeah. You don't even think about Interesting. it. Interesting. think about Interesting. it. Interesting. Because we have facts that Sage, before his winning run. Yeah, he really. He J-O'd the night before at Suji. Was so that you, by choice, or was he just super isolated and didn't? We don't. We didn't get into the details of material <laughs> reasoning. Or well, I know uh, his roommate motivation. He usually have roommates, but his roommate got sick, so was gone. So he had his own room. So at oh, least that's that yeah. That's a classic scenario there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's a classic scenario. <laughs> Give a young man his own room, and uh, I guess it might just happen, huh? Yeah. You know what are we Olympics? Is that next year? Yeah. What, what's next for uh, Scotty James? What do you got on the docket for us? What's next? Uh... You know, I'm just really enjoying snowboarding and I've got some things I really want to achieve in the half pipe trick wise. So just all focus on that and then obviously yeah, we just get ready for, for next winter and all the competitions and you know, I guess the Olympics is next year. I try I I don't really like put an emphasis on it honestly. I just every year I wanna go and do the best that I can and snowboard the way I wanna snowboard and if I win, I win. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what's next for me. And hanging out in Park City, we have one more event in uh, in Aspen. And yeah, it has been a strange year this year with everything. We haven't been competing as much, but it's also been kind of nice, like being able to really spend some time on some things that I've been thinking about with tricks and whatnot. So, yeah, that's kind of what's, what's next. Going to spend a lot of time in the U.S., training in the springtime or riding. I always do that. Like sometimes I feel like I say training, but I don't really feel like I'm training snowboarding. And I don't really like saying training because it's not really like I'm up there. I guess there's elements, like you said, with the days in the pipe where it's not that enjoyable and the weather's kind of crazy and the half pipe's a bit scary, there are days I feel like I'm training. But yeah. like any other day, I'm like going snowboarding. True. Yeah. But there is like this other element of half pipe snowboarding, we're going down another wormhole. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Basically like Sean White had his own private half pipe, right. Mm. And with a foam pit. And now luckily there's airbags and whatnot. And, but I mean, let's call a spade a spade. It's, it is training at a certain point, Mm. you know, like when you guys have your own private half pipe and there's a team of people, like it is snowboarding, but it ain't snowboarding like when you're just going to the resort. and I mean, maybe you frame it that way. but Yeah, no, you're right. There is an element of it. And um, I've never felt the luxury of just being in a half pipe by myself. I haven't asked Sean about that either. But he reaps through the rewards, as you guys have seen. Um, but, yeah, there is a element of training for sure. But, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, 
maybe that's just me feeling like it's not the right thing to say. Like yeah. snowboarders don't train, but we kind of do, I guess. I'd like to ask a question for you both. And it's back on what we were talking about with, I guess, um, maybe brands in snowboarding and how you guys perceive what it is, what it looks like moving forward. Because for someone like myself and then obviously the new generation coming through, we, it's so important to have a social influence. And I hate that word influencer because most people that are influencers haven't really done anything that's influential. And when I say influential, I'm talking about people like Tom Brady, the Michael Jordans. So the, the word influencer is kind of just been destroyed in my opinion. But now like, you know, whenever we do contracts, for example, and I'm curious, that's why I want to ask you, um, is it's in there. Like you you are paid basically to, what you can really in like how you are going to influence people on on a platform fortunately for me i you know i've had really good you know relationships with my sponsors now and i'm really well looked after like red bull and oakley and whatnot but with new people like new brands and and new people you want to get involved in it's such a heavy conversation because for me for example like i i look at it like i've come out of an event or a season and i feel like i'm doing really well and i'm dominating and whatever else I'm like, you know, I feel like I should be deserved to pay, be paid what I, what someone that's doing that should be. I don't know if I'm phrasing this the right way, um, but it's not. It's all about, which is, which, which I think kind of sucks because I feel like when you are really good at something like snowboarding or anything, the real people that are really good at it kind of don't get what they deserve anymore because they can go and pay someone else that's got a million followers, but somehow they have more influence than someone that's actually talented. They're amazing at what their passion is. We're talking about snow in snowboarding case. Um, and they've dedicated themselves to it. And we talk about training and all this other stuff or filming video parts and as, as well, you know, it's all about instant gratification. It's like no one wants to wait anymore for someone to film a video part. So I'm just curious, I wanted to ask, I guess, both of you what you thought about that um, and if you've experienced it. Well, do you want anything to say? I mean, I feel like there's still the big dog snowboarders are still getting their due, you know, the Travis Rices, mm. the Bodies. I mean, Chris, there's such a, there's still a crew. And then I would hope guys like yourself are still getting pretty good money over the guy that has a million followers and no skills. But it's probably going to head that way, you know. Yeah, there's, I guess it's a shame. There, there's definitely a lot, a lot of layers to that. That there's a lot, there's a lot there, and um, you know, talking talking about a lot of the stuff like, you know, the, to be devil's advocate, you know, for example, like we ha- we have the bombhole store. People can buy merch, mm. and we can see directly if there's like a post. People bought it because of the post. It's like the Instagram really is a direct consume like it's a direct metric of sales in a, in a way I've re- I'm realizing from from a brand standpoint from that lens so I'd see the the power of like okay you, if you're a business and we are in the business of capitalism and making money then like the metrics of of you know w- you know your value a lot of times is is depicted on how much product you sell right so mm-hmm. there's a lot of layers to the fact of like people like to know 
like people latch on to some personalities and some personalities people like to know who to cheer for people like to have their favorites and certain things like that so like you know it, it's just a it's a weird thing like with teams you know even going to like snowboard teams i find it's like like um you you got to i'm kind of getting into the weeds with some of this stuff but like you know each team is a band of people and as a unit together that's what makes a team and you buy buy into that team like a, for example a snowboard company what makes a snowboard different the team makes the snowboard different that that's what makes a ride snowboard different than a Solomon snowboard it, it's not I, in my opinion is like the the team drives the the narrative behind like why you buy something so there's like a lot of different layers and then going into the social media thing yeah it sucks like video parts are completely sacred i think that 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 uh what's it called like prolonged gratification of a video part of taking all year working towards something and then eventually seeing it is is a sacred thing we have named that video part it's it's a part of what i've raised my life on getting last part was what i built my life around for a long time and now that what's gone because you just put it instantly on Instagram. So I think that like the the people that are going to do it and it's worth watching, make movies. The kids coming up, put your shit on your gram. Uh, and then as far as like people, you know, like yourself, like, you know, guys winning, you're the most winning half pipe snowboarder that exists right now. Right. And it's like, why, why is there not a zillion sponsors lined up? You know, and I, I don't know the answer to that too, in some senses. I don't know if that's what we're getting at, but it's, I don't know. We're, that was a kind of a lot, but yeah, no, it's true. No, I just was curious what your guys thoughts were on it because for me, yeah, it's not saying like, you know, I should have way more sponsors than I have. It's, it's more like is, I feel like the brands, I get it from both sides. I'm like, of course they want the exposure. Like print media is just not really like happening anymore. It's all about getting it on, getting it on the web and the Instagram and whatever. But I feel like it's so it's really back on the brands to be like, well, like who are you picking? Like why and why are you picking them? Because nowadays it's just so diluted with like, I guess, what's right and wrong between like who's sponsored and who's not. I mean, nowadays there's like a fraction of people being hooked up than there used to be. Like when I was 13 you know, Nike came into the business and like a lot of people were on really good money, which I still would wish that were the case in snowboarding, but it's not, but just because of like maybe us not having the social presence. That's a great, it's point. not, it's not because we're not talented or we're not doing things that, you know, isn't what we weren't doing before. It's purely because your social presence isn't, that you don't deserve the money because you don't have pre social presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's the metric they use. Yeah, but going back to the point about the industry, the the way I've I see it, and I could be completely wrong because I don't have any metrics on like dollar amount in the industry. But if you were to take, it's almost like the pie twenty years ago was this big, and then the pie is the same size now. Like it's like the amount of money in snowboarding maybe hasn't grown or shrunk or whatever. I don't know any metrics on that. But the amount of good snowboarders has exponentially skyrocketed of how many kids that are really good that are eligible to be sponsored. So the way I see it is there's just a lot more people fighting for that same size pie. And the way that that gets divvied up is then the conversation we're having now, but is yeah. about the social media and whatnot. But I think there's just more people fighting for the same pie and how they divvy it up is 
Fucking who knows? Seems to me there's more snowboarders on the mountain than ever, though. Yeah. It's great. But there are less brands than than there were. Or more brands now. There was less brands back then. I don't know. It's tough. Tough formula that I guess no one has the answer to yet. Yeah, that's true. But if you kill it and do what you're doing and have that good social following, that's probably the formula right there. Yeah. But that's the question, too. It's like, I mean, there are people that are exceptional at both. But, like, I have trouble where I'm like, I just want to snowboard and I want to be the best that I can. And then sometimes I find myself just worrying about crap. Like, oh, when was the last time you put up an Instagram? And then you kind of just like, you just get taken so far out of what actually means anything. And for sure, you got to evolve because it is part of it. And I, I genuinely am fortunate. I have my brother travel with me. We love making content and I like putting it out there and I like you know, getting that repetition, that flow of putting things out there and of what I want people to see. But it just has so much weight now. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. How many I'm, followers you got on the gram? Me? Uh, I think 209,000. That's a big chunk for snowboarding. Dude, yeah. and that's a, no, that th- I think it's humans, though, that all that interaction. I mean, while we're, let's go down this wormhole, but I think that's almost too much for people to handle. Like, yeah. it's like we're. You know, all that like phone buzzing every two seconds, somebody's liking or didn't like, or this one didn't, people didn't like this post. And, and I think it's, you know, do you let your phone buzz with all your likes and shit? No, No. I don't let it buzz, but just in in, like instinctively, if I do a post, I'm going to check it pretty regularly for that little dopamine hit. And I don't know that like we've, it almost, this is what I think with social media. I feel like we're in the era when cigarettes first came out and everybody's like, Cigarettes are great. Let's let's smoke them. Surgeons are they're on commercials and like and maybe in like twenty years we're like remember when we were doing all that social media? I don't think it's that good. We kind of fucked. They say that's why suicides up. You know? know? I don't know. Yeah, seriously. As well too, though. I look at uh, I love Formula One, and I like I like a lot of like motocross. What I feel like would really benefit snowboarding, which we don't have right now and it's been an issue for a long time is this is purely just on a competitive level we don't have one world tour and we don't have a tour that leverages us to the public in the right way and you i'm using formula one as example a lot of those guys don't even go on instagram but everyone follows formula one and f1 have one of the best social media platforms that you ever want to follow but they are promoting nonstop the people that are on that tour and they're prom- and um and making sure that their presence I guess is just done without them even being on there. Now I'm not saying that you should just we sh- we need to find that so all of us can get off social media and leave a snowboard tour to do it for us. I'm just saying we don't have that at all. So I feel like there's this whole element now where we have these tours. I mean we have two tours. We have the FIS tour World Snowboard Tour. I think there's another one. And it's like, no one can follow it. And how do we get people involved in following it? And we've, I think we've, a lot of people have tried to start it up and I'm not sure kind of where it, it gets left off, but we don't really have that right now. Like we don't have um, some, like a, I guess an event tour that is that is doing that. And it's it's making it, harder for people to follow therefore the interest is quite low 
And maybe it's my responsibility. Shit, maybe I should be talking about it more or something. But I'll tell you what, if there was like every Saturday night for every other Saturday night in the winter, there was a half pipe and a slope style contest, I would be loving tuning in. I would be gambling on it. <laughs> I would be picking my guys. I would have brackets. I'd be, you know, like we'd be talking about it in the booth. It yeah. would be great. You know, as a, I'm a fan of, of competition. I love Supercross. I love football. I like watching all that stuff. And it's like the... the it definitely lacks. I mean, you have the X Games. Hmm. Fuck, I don't even. And the, you know and the, who does a good job is Red Bull, man. Yeah, I was watching last night that longest urban BMX downhill, two point five million views. Yeah, it's amazing. Everything they do. I mean, even Travis's contest, the the views they they got from that contest. Yeah, that's incredible. a tour. That's actually kind of, the, but it's a totally different kind of tour. But yeah, yeah, I mean, they do a great job with it. Like, I feel like there should be one tour that is run by snowboarders. I mean, Terrier's... Yeah, he argued MJ. for that a long time. He did. He, I mean, he's been a big advocate for something like this. And maybe we, I guess, collectively, we, meaning us competitors, we haven't come together to really try and nut it out. But I think, um, like, I think it would be amazing to have one... To sur- oh, I said Surf Tour, because I was going to say WSL. They're another good example. But one tour that has okay you got your half pipe events you got your slope style events and then let's just say we're going to put in the natural side which is the supernatural and that that's the tour that people follow there's one platform all those events fall under that same flag and that's how you follow snowboarding there's no other way there's not you know 10 other links that you got to follow to watch one event like i think that is going to be such a one day, hopefully, it happens. It would be so such a big change for for a positive light in terms of you know getting sponsors part of mm-hmm. more of more more frequently, and then I guess that presence of social media and Red Bull do a great job. I mean, you know, they have Red Bull TV and whatnot, and they always do an amazing job of broadcasting it. But I feel like it would be cool if we had one tour, and then they became. That like okay, you want to watch you want to watch your event on Saturday night. You know where are you going to go and watch that event on Saturday night. Whereas right now it's like, where's the link for it? How do we watch it? Where is it? What's the time different? Like it's that's, just that's very true. It's so hard to watch, and I think it's making it really hard for people to get involved because it's just like. Now I got a question because I'm unfamiliar with this, and I know Fist the Terrier has always been trying to you know band people together against fists. Now, why are some people pro and why are some people con? It's never been explained to me. I think for... Because it's a federation of skiers. Yeah, it's clear. a skier, yes. skier run group. It's a I skier think run group. it's the biggest thing he yeah. has an issue with. There is, it is a skier run group, and that's... yeah. Skiers where, making money off of snowboarding. Exactly, and that's where Terrier's biggest argument is, which I totally understand and respect. But I think... To answer your question, it's because I just don't think like an opportunity has really because now we have people like countries getting involved you've never heard of in snowboarding and they don't really care what um who runs the event. They're gonna do it. If they're gonna get to the Olympics, they're gonna do it. Yeah. And and I don't wanna throw this word around lightly, but I almost feel like it's getting to the point where the snowboarding community need to sign something that says we're going to be loyal to this because without us, it won't happen. We're going to sign this and we're going to 
you know, boycott everything unless until we get it the way that we want it and it's going to fall under this flag and that's how it's going to be. I just don't, there just hasn't been that pay, like that, that turn yet. It would just, it would take just a handful of the marquee dudes. Mm. That's it. If you, if you take away yourself, Mark Mick, uh, you know, the, the dudes that are on the podium week in, week out on all this shit, it really, like, if, if, if you're not in it and the main dudes aren't in it, shit, I'm not watching it. I'll tell you that right now as a, as a consumer of it, you know, like there's, you got to real figure out who the, I, I mean, I'm not, we're talking about this off the cuff, but you know, there's. The, the main dudes, the, the person that I've never heard of from, I don't mean to be disrespectful, some country that has a crazy team that trains into airbags, they're not drawing the, the crowd. They're not drawing the views, you know, and I think that, like, I think it would be cool if snowboarders kind of banded together and, and uh, did something cool like that. A few years ago, there was, um, they created this, I think it was like Chaz, um, Goldmond, few others mark was in there like i guess all of us we met at the u.s open bunch of riders started this thing called we are snowboarding and that was probably the closest thing i've seen so far to this transition and and i feel like it just gets to a point where it 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 gets so tough for uh everyone to kind of navigate corporate people because they have the vocabulary maybe that we don't <laughs> yeah but it it can get to a point where it gets very just hard to achieve and they make it really hard mm-hmm. to get there and i think as we just said before that's probably what's going to turn the page and it would upset a lot of people um probably but i think that's yeah what really has to happen and what what who's to say all right what if what if fist ran the olympics right or something and then this circuit, which it's like street league, the street league have anything to do with the Olympics? I don't know, but skateboarding has street league. That's the one I would relate. Rob Deerdick and those guys just took a control of skateboarding with that. Yeah, same sure. as World uh, Surf. What is it called? WSL. Yeah, WSL. Same deal, I'd imagine. Right? Well, that's a th- that's a thing, right? Those like WSL, their their events are what qualify you to go to the Olympic Games. We don't have that. FIS is how you go to the Olympic Games and yeah. some World Snowboard Tour events. So a lot of those other sports and those, um, they have that tour and they have that following and they have people that are genuinely interested in it. Whereas we don't. We kind of just have like a lot of different tours and a lot of different random events. Mm-hmm. We need to make it one ourselves, come together and it's like, that's how you qualify for the Olympics. That's how you get the exposure to do anything in snowboarding competition world. Anyway, well, go on forever about it. No, but. it's good to have a conversation about that. I mean, that's a step in the right direction. Skiers shouldn't be, not that I got anything against skiers, but they shouldn't be controlling the snowboard federation. That's for damn sure. But, uh, yeah, you know, we got to come together. I like that, you know, good conversation to start it. Who knows? I mean, sure, it's been happened a million times, but uh, we're talking about it. Yeah. So lastly, I think we've uh, we've we've been chatting for a while. Do you have anybody uh, you want to thank before we kind of wrap this thing up? Well, thank you both for having me. It's been an honor. Honestly, it's uh, it's very cool to get in and talk about snowboarding. I honestly don't really dive into much depth often about my experience in snowboarding and why I am who I am now and 
being very transparent and honest about my beliefs. It's not something I yeah, do very often. So thanks for giving me that opportunity. And um, of course, you know, obviously my mom, dad, Beck, Sean's actually in, in the booth. <laughs> give give um, them all an air horn. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tim. Uh, and just, uh, I mean, my family has been such an amazing support uh, as well as my sponsors, Red Bull, Oakley. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've through everything it's been an amazing journey and um i'm very grateful i mean it's not a it's not a one-man show there's many people behind that help me to make all of my visions come to fruition so very grateful for them and uh i think that's about it well beautiful uh we want to thank you for coming on the show and thank everybody for listening uh it's been a pleasure chatting with you scotty and uh Yeah, we'll see you next week over and out from the bomb hole.